Hello, everybody. Welcome back for another edition of Out of Bounds. As always, I'm your host, Spencer Brown. Joining me, we have Dalton Bishop. What's going on? Oh, very exciting episode in store. I'm glad you can make it this week. And we also have Christian Ertz. What is up, y'all? Oh, you know how we do it here. We got a lot to discuss in the sports world. But before we get to football, or the NFL, I should say, we do need to start with college football, which we rarely discuss on the show anymore. I know in the early days we did, uh, we had kind of moved away from that. But uh, this was a news story that broke today that sent shockwave waves throughout the sports world, and that is that Nick Saban, the head coach of Alabama, announcing he is retiring at the age of 72 after 17 years at Alabama, amassing six titles with the Crimson Tide. He also had one title from when he was at LSU, 11-time SEC champion, and one of the most important ones here, one-time MAC champion back in 1990 when he was the head coach of Toledo. His only year at Toledo, uh, he won the MAC that year. That's the most important accolade, that I think, if you're Nick Saban. You hang your hat on there. But in all seriousness, one of the greatest college football coaches ever. Uh, just all the accolades, like I said, the titles, coach of the year, his teams consistently in the top, not just top 25, not just top 10, but top five. And, you know, he never lost more than two games in a year uh, since his first year. Like his first year, you know, they inherited, it was a rough program. They go uh, officially two and six, but they were really seven and six because of uh, stupid vacating wins there. But after that, every single year, you know, there's 12 and two, 14 and 0. They, okay, so they had three losses in 2010. Since 2010, it's one, two, or zero losses um, just every single year. And that's just a testament to uh, his guys and like, his coaching style. And they've been flipping OCs and DCs left and right every year because those guys we get other head coaching jobs more often than not in the sec as well so he'd be going head to head against these guys and he had a good track record against his former assistants only being beat by a couple of them kirby smart and jimbo fisher uh i believe that's the only two people that ever defeated him there um and again it's a day that no one really thought was coming anytime soon it seemed like he was a uh, you know willing to keep going coaching because he just seemed like he was full of energy and the, I mean, the way this season ended with losing in the playoff on a questionable play call with the QB draw, but that's a discussion for another time. But I just thought he was like, hey, I don't want, I'm still got enough energy. Let's run it back. Um, but it's the end of a career. Whoever replaces him, they have big shoes to fill. And again, I think they'll have it. Um, I think someone will take that job. And I think. If it's the right hire, which they have their pick of the litter, they won't have to rush to make a decision. They'll get whoever they want more often than not. It's going to be, you know, just keep the ship afloat there. It's a great infrastructure already. All you got to do is just keep recruiting at a high level. And you have the Alabama brand name. Like, people are going to want to play for Alabama. People are going to want to coach for Alabama. It's the biggest head coaching job opening. And I don't even know how long. Because a lot of the other openings that were huge, we just saw them promote from within. Like, I mean, sure, USC took Lincoln Riley a few years ago, and that was a splashy hire, but it wasn't necessarily – USC was not viewed as this prestigious job at that time there. And, like, Ohio State when Urban retired. They just promoted Ryan Day. Like, I don't remember a time where we've had this big of a head coaching opening, especially at this stage because all the jobs were filled 
because of the way the college cycle is, you know, the, the portal closed yesterday. Of course, with the head coaching change, there's a 30-day open period for guys to enter the portal and whatnot. But it's just you don't see it this like after the season ends. Um, and there's another head coaching job that I think may become open. Uh, if this coach takes an NFL job, we may mention that when we're discussing coach firings in a moment. But uh, on Nick Saban, just a legendary career. And, you know, enjoy retirement because he's definitely earned it. Um, and, again, if he wanted to coach, he could still coach at a high level. Uh, he never lost his basketball. And, again, not many people not many people get to retire on top. Um, but making the playoff in your final year, and you did it just about every single year of the four-team era, uh, it sucks that he's doing it before the 12-team era hits next year. But, you know, he, he felt it was time. And, you know, best of luck in retirement. Uh, you definitely earned it, Nick Saban, one of the greatest coaches in college football history. Dalton, I'll go to you next. Your thoughts in reaction when you saw the news that Coach Saban has called it quits. My, I mean, my uh, first reaction was completely, completely shocked, completely floored. Um, and I was like, wow, like this guy is really hanging it up. Um I I I thought that he was gonna go at least for like another five years, um, you know, like even even if he's, you know, in his seventies, seventy two, um, but yeah, I mean, he was he was just <laughs> he was just in, insane as a coach, and I mean, that's you know, you you think about all the people today that want to be football coaches. I mean that Saban's like the first, the first few words that comes out of their mouths when they think about, you know, the greatest coaches of all time, guys that, guys that really paved the way, and uh, Saban Saban is like that. I mean, he is, he is one of, if not the best. Um, and I I kind of I kind of feel the same way I felt after after Brady retired, Tom Brady retired, is like. Like you don't know, you don't know how much you're going to miss them on the field until after they're not there anymore. And so it is like, I think, I think next college football season is going to be, is going to be something. I, I don't know what the feeling is, but you know, it, it's going to be just different not seeing him on the sideline when Bama plays. All right, Christian, anything you want to add on the legacy of Coach Saban as he calls it a career? Um, He's the GOAT. You know, there's not a lot of coaches that um, anybody would kind of disrespect in any regard. You can, you can trash uh, any coach, you know, that's your rival or any coach that's not been doing the best job that he can do. Out, You know, he's won – Everywhere he's gone. He won at Toledo. He's won at Michigan State. Won the big one at LSU. Decently successful in the NFL. Decently. He was 15 and 17. Wasn't great. He was decent in the NFL. And obviously Alabama, he made them into a, you know an absolute bigger star than uh, even where Bear Bryant was. So he's definitely one of those coaches that when you hear him talk, you listen. Like, when he talks, every single person in that room is super silent. You can hear a pin drop. Um, you know, what, well, I, I've been in the college football realm, being behind the scenes the last couple of years, 
And I don't think I have any more, like, I do respect everybody who I've worked with, but I don't know if I could have any, like, disagreement with Nick Saban, even though we all disagree, like, you know, how sometimes he complained if Alabama should be in the playoff and he's fighting for his, he's fighting for his players, which is a great, what a great coach does. But of course, in the moment we're all thinking, oh, Nick is just, you know, being Nick to try and get his own resume up. Resume speaks for itself. Multi-time SEC champion at multiple schools. He's been a national champion undefeated. You know, we all say the SEC is the top dog, and he made him one of the top dogs. He made Georgia kind of, you know, Georgia had to beat them a couple of times. He had to, you know, that coach in uh, Coach Smart, he had to go one-on-one against, you know, Goliath there. You know, Ed Orgeron, you know, even though he's no longer a coach, you know, at LSU with Joe Burrow, Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase, you name it, they were the top team. LSU was an absolute dog of a team. Then you, you know, you have Florida several years, right? That was before uh, the Nick Saban era, but Florida going up against him was real tough. Tennessee last year, them, you know, won on a field goal, and that entire uh, stadium erupted in a field goal post, went into the Dagum River. So you're going up against Nick Saban. You big Nick Saban, that is seriously one of the best moments in the world. It truly is. You got, you know, being able to work with the guy, being able to compete with the guy. You're not just showing up to an Alabama game getting smoked. You're in the fourth quarter with one of the best to ever do it. That That's pretty daggum good. That really speaks on what you can do as a head coach or as a coach in general in the sport of football. You know, it's one of the guys that, you know, as a fan, you, you know, you kind of hate to see him because he is so successful – but as a coach, when you really look at his entire resume, he is truly one of the best college football coaches to ever do it. Seven national titles, most out of any other coach in college football history for a reason. Tremendous coach, tremendous legacy. Enjoy retirement. And yeah, there's not much else you can say about Coach Saban there. Shifting gears to the NBA before we dive into the NFL, John Morant who a lot of people may know, you know, superstar for the Grizzlies, was suspended the first 25 games this year uh, due to a gun incident where he just flashed a gun on an Instagram Live uh, video. Um, there was a multiple uh, infractions there. That was not the first incident. But he came back from suspension and was lighting it up for the Grizzlies. And then, unfortunately, he had a, just recently underwent season-ending right shoulder surgery after uh, suffering an injury in practice, which it obviously sucks. Uh, they only played nine games this year just because uh, Memphis, the way the team has been playing, like, you know, a couple years ago, they were really good. They were fine last year. They swing the deal for Marcus Smart in the offseason. And, you know, they struggled to start the season. But then once Jock came back, they kind of had turned a corner and they were starting to play really well. Um, and now Jaw's gone the rest of the season. And it's a Grizzlies team that's not in good condition, uh, not in a good position in the uh, standings. That again, if they were to just bottom out, and you know, I don't know what they do at the deadline because I don't know. Like you still got some good pieces that I don't know if you want to sell off necessarily. Uh, but maybe the best course of action for the Grizzlies is to just you know tank, quote unquote, 
and just get the best pick out to what the Warriors did that one year. Um, you know, they the year after Durant had left, even though they got, you know, it didn't really work out in the grand scheme of things with some of the players, you know, James Wiseman, Moses Moody, et cetera. Uh, they still end up winning another title. So, you know, take that how you want there. Memphis, obviously, not the pedigree of the Warriors, but to lose a star like John Moran, who is the face of the franchise there, you gave him the extension um, and everything. It, it sucks. They sit now 14-23. They're 13th in the West, currently four and a half games out of the last play-in spot. Um, it's, a, it's a big blow. And I I see here today, I'm, I say I'll be stunned if they find a way to get to the top 10. Like, I like some of the pieces like Triple J, Marcus Smart, etc. But I don't think they can just have the willpower and the talent to compete night in and night out and crawl their way back into the plan tournament. That's where I stand right now on the situation there. Um, and obviously, best of luck in John, the recovery. Uh, wish him nothing but the best because he is one of the top players to watch in the NBA. He's a highlight reel every single night that he's playing. Um, and you know, it just sucks for Memphis that this is how, uh, you know, barring of, you know, a miracle, this is how the season kind of uh, torpedoes to the bottom. Don't anything you want to add on John Morant uh, out for the season with a shoulder injury. Not too much. I mean, it just, it, it, yeah, it stinks for him because, you know, he had just gotten back. The Grizzlies were catching momentum. They were they were winning a few games with him in there and, you know, tear your labrum and you're, you're out, dude. I mean, it's, you got to, you got to recover from that and, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens next season with that and see if he'll return to how he was before because, of course, it is a shoulder injury. And with basketball, shooting motions, all that jazz, um, we'll see if he gets back to normal. But I think, you know, recover the right way and take the right approach. He'll be, he'll be back. But I think for Memphis, like, you know, again, like mentioned before, it was, you know, you just got to – Get rid of this season and just I mean you can you can try if you want to. You got good guys. Um Desmond Bain showed that he's pretty capable of of dropping thirty. Um and on pretty much like um any given night. And so, you know, if you wanna if you wanna try go for it, try uh, try for each of the games that you play. There's no guarantee you're gonna win, of course, but I mean this this season is is not looking great for for the Grizzlies and um I guess we'll just have to see what pick they get um cuz I mean you know I mean when you look at the roster top to bottom you're not I mean they're they're not and like I say this with respect they're, they're I mean they're not going to um play with the best of the best in the league right now. I mean, they're just not. They're just not. I, I don't I don't believe that they have the firepower to go toe-to-toe with the guy, with the teams that are really, really showing out. And Jaw needs to be a part of the Grizzlies for that to, for that conversation to happen. And so, you know, without Jaw, you just you just don't see the Grizzlies mixing it up. And um so we'll just we'll just have to see what the future holds. All right, Christian, your thoughts on the John Murray injury and how that sidelines the Grizzlies this season? Uh, that's really stinks. I mean, we saw in the 25-game suspension 
that uh, he had in the beginning of the season, it, it totally derailed the Grizzlies, and it definitely did hurt them. And, it, you know, before this injury, we were all talking how the Grizzlies, their best chance to be in the playoff, at best, they'd be a 5-6 seed, but they're, if they're in the playoffs, they're going to be in the play-in competing for that spot because of how low Memphis was in the beginning of the year. And in the nine games that he competed, they had a very, they were very good. I think they were like six and three. They were a very good team. And they seemed like, okay, Memphis is kind of back. And with him, Triple J, they're going to do uh, some serious damage. And with without John Morant now, Memphis is going to get, I believe, you know, a top pick in the lottery. Like, you know, if we're seeing how they were beforehand, and they weren't Detroit Pistons bad, but they were pretty bad out West. You know, they were not going to be, uh, you know, they weren't competing right now without John. So, especially now, you know, with for an injury and he's not going to come back. And who knows if he comes back in the beginning of next season. You know, what do they do with that pick? Like Spencer mentioned, what happens in the trade deadline? You know, what really happens with the Memphis organization? Uh, there's going to be a lot of questions to answer because they don't want to tank. And what do you use that pick for? Do you try and go out and, you know, and get somebody in with that top pick? And maybe when Jaw comes back, that can be a super team to watch out in the West in the 2024-25 uh, season. Who knows? So th- there's a lot of questions to still be answered in a Memphis organization. But with Jaw Morant, it absolutely stings. And hopefully he realizes that, you know, he is the guy in Memphis. There's He's not just a guy. He's the guy who's going to move, you know, Memphis's needle if they want to win an NBA Finals championship at the end of the year and be a competitor out in the West. All right. Thank you, Christian, for that. And now we shift gears to the NFL where a lot has transpired. We will get to our Week 18 recap like we always do. But with it being the final week of the season, Black Monday, the day after the NFL season ends, where a lot of teams decide to make their coaching firings. And the first coaching firing of the offseason, for most teams, obviously, um, because, again, there was three in the regular season. The first one since the regular season ended happened two minutes past midnight on the East Coast. And that was the Atlanta Falcons firing Arthur Smith. They said, hey, let's wait to the end of the day. Uh, we'll let Arthur Smith coach the rest of the game. Uh, as soon as midnight hit, it's like, okay, Arthur, yeah, you're done. Exit. And it, it sucks for Arthur, but we saw this coming for weeks. I'm almost positive we have mentioned time and time again. You know, Arthur Smith probably not coaching past the season. Um, it's a weird um, legacy that he has with Atlanta, if you want to call it that. Every single season in Atlanta, they were 7-10, and 10, and they had the eighth pick in the NFL draft. And it, it, I, I want to believe in this guy, but he came from Tennessee where your offense was, you know, Derrick Henry. Hand the ball to Derrick Henry. Yeah, Tannehill looked fine, but I was never really super impressed, even though they had made that run to the AFC Championship game in 2020. Um, but, hey, it's worked out. Um not really because they, you know, taking B. John Robinson, taking Drake London in the draft, you drafted Kyle Pitts, guys that we were all fans of, and we thought, you know, this is a great roster. This should be competing for more. 
and they weren't. They just never – he never used to really utilize these guys. So I'm not so much worried about who the next head coach is. If it's offensive or defense guy, I don't think it matters one way or another necessarily. But if it was the offensive play caller, you have to find a way to get those guys utilized. And Arthur Smith, you know, if you didn't know this before, his father is FedEx founder uh, Fred Smith. So, I don't know. Maybe he'll work for his dad for the FedEx um, in the near future if he can't find an NFL job somewhere. Although, I'm sure some team will want him uh, on, like, the office of coordinator, office, like, assistant coach there in some capacity. Because he's still a good offensive – well, not really. I mean, it's like Brandon Staley where, like, you're known for your one set of ball and it, you didn't really utilize it to your strength and your advantage when you were with the job. But I'm convinced he'll find a job somewhere in the NFL. Someone will take another chance on him. But, hey – you still got a, a nice paycheck in, you know, you got a nice inheritance um, there if you want to go work for FedEx. Uh, Dolan, your thoughts on the uh, kind of expected firing, I'd say, of, of uh, Arthur Smith with the Atlanta yeah. Falcons. Yeah, Spence, honestly, that was pretty good. Like, I don't know how I can follow that up. Uh, so great job there. Like that, like, I, 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 that, well, this is going to be tough, but we're, we're going to, we're going to go ahead and give it a go. Um <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it was it was super expected. Um, there's there there's there's really nothing that you could do, uh, except except for, uh, you know we'll let this guy go, give somebody else a chance. Um, with the with the Falcons, they I mean honestly they probably should let him go after two, if especially if he went seven and ten, seven and ten, um, and you're looking at you know. Consistently bad. You are consistently bad, and you know to reward you, we are going to pay you the. We are going to we are going to let this contract go on, go on because um, we don't want to uh, screw anything up on our end. But you know we. <laughs> this is a viable cause. Like if you're bad and you're not living up to the expectations of the team and uh, what the owner has for this team, then you're, you're done. Goodbye. We will see you around. Um, that's, that's just, that's just what happens. I mean, this is, this is a multi-billion dollar business and owners are not patient. There some of owners are just not patient. Uh, obviously Arthur Blank was, uh, was surprisingly patient with this hire, leaving him on for three years after the first Two years, he only won 14 games. That being said, I think he people were still living off of the success. He was still living off of the success that he had in Tennessee when he had really good players. Um, but he's got really good players here in Atlanta. So I guess that we just we just get comp- ah, me personally, I'm confused as to how you could do this with Tennessee, but you go to a different team. That's got good players as well, and you don't produce. Um, but you know, maybe he goes back to a coordinator position. Maybe Spencer, like you mentioned, like Spencer mentioned, goes works for his dad at FedEx, uh, becomes a package handler instead of a offensive coordinator handler. I don't know. Um, but you know, um. As Bill Parcells once said, you are what your record says you are, and this man is 21-30 and sub-500 as a head coach. So 
something's got to give and he's out of a job, unfortunately, but I'm sure he'll get back in there and uh, find another one. All right, Christian, your thoughts on the expected firing, I would say, of Arthur Smith. Uh, Ding dong, the witch is dead. Uh, I think everyone at Atlanta in the locker room, I think every Atlanta fan, um, I think any major person who has interest in the Atlanta Falcons, like com- like organization-wise, um, they're happy that Arthur Smith is gone. Look, in my and Spencer hit it perfectly in the head where Arthur Smith had pretty much because of Mike Rabel and how great of a job he did in Tennessee and making them a top seed in the NF- in the AFC, I think in 2019. He, you know, Derrick Henry. It was give Derrick Henry the ball, give King Henry his uh, you know, his you know, kind of his reign as being the top running back in the entire NFL. Tannehill was kind of successful off of that because it's play action. Because all the set, all, you know, it's going to be like eight men in the box, pretty much. Uh, how the defense had to run up trying to stop Derrick Henry. And he got the Atlanta Falcons job. Now, he had three, he was gifted with three tremendous players. With Drake London out of USC, Kyle Pitts out of Florida, and Bijan Robinson out of Texas. And they couldn't produce. And this A shows how important a good quarterback is to uh, an organization. There are some organizations that can be successful with mediocre quarterbacks. It's very rare, but sometimes it happens. And the fact that Arthur Smith had of out of the prime Matt Ryan went two whole years with Taylor Heineke, Marcus Mariota, and uh, Desmond Ritter stood could still could not produce enough with those three players and sometimes had healthy scratches of Bijan Robinson, healthy scratches of Kyle Pitts, healthy scratches of Drake London. That's happened before. And the fact that Arthur Smith was not even using the great weapons that he's had, the great young weapons. We are talking about how in back in 2021, Kyle Pitts was the best player on the board. Even though it was three quarterbacks, Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, haha, and Trey Lance, who, by the way, of all the 21, 2021 quarterbacks, you know the only one that's in the playoffs? Trey Lance, and he's a backup. So what are you going to say about the class as of right now in this moment? But Kyle Pitts was the best player going into that class. Bijan Robinson, we were talking about him in the last, uh, back in April with all the draft talk. I loved him and Jamari Gibbs. I thought those two were 1A, 1B. You choose, but I would choose Bijan Robinson. You draft him number eight overall, even though you had a thousand yard rusher last year. And Bijan Robinson, yes, was your leader, but he had healthy scratches sometimes for whatever reason Arthur Smith and company had, and he didn't get a thousand yards. I mean, that's, that's how you're going to use your eighth overall pick, is not making him the centerfold of your offense. Kind of head scratching. And also, I personally, personally loved how it ended. Now, we could kind of debate that later on in the podcast. I know I will for sure. But Arthur Smith, after getting destroyed by the Saints, goes up and he's just cursing out Dennis Allen. Just cursing him all to hell. He knows he was fired. 
Uh, he has to go out swinging with some f bombs, and you know that was his. That's the final moment you're going to see of Arthur Smith being the head coach is cursing out the New Orleans Saints coach. Very funny indeed. But like I mentioned in the beginning, ding dong, the witch is dead. Arthur Smith, go back to FedEx, and you can be a mediocre um, package delivery man. Man, I didn't think we'd all be getting in the shots at FedEx for Arthur Smith, but uh, here we are. Uh, it's not his fault. You know, he's the son of a billionaire, but that's just uh, where it is. Uh, another one that was kind of an expected firing, uh, Ron Rivera. He got fired by the Washington Commanders after the season ended. Again, pretty expected. He won four games this year. Um, and I don't know if he gets another job somewhere else. He's now had two coaching jobs, both of which, I mean, technically was above 500. And it's not really technically. He was above 500 with Carolina. But a lot of that was because of the 15 and one year and 15. This year, I mean, his first year in Washington, they win the division and they give Tim Bale run for his money in the playoff game uh, before after losing the game. You win seven games again year two, but you finished third because the division got better. Uh, and then you finished last in the division two straight years. And, yeah, the scene of an era for Ron Rivera. I don't know what his next step is, if he's even going to be coaching again. I feel like he could be really good on TV. Um, you know, just his knowledge of the game uh, from his playing days with Chicago and then coaching at various stops. And he's been a Super Bowl, you know, lost Super Bowl. He's been to a Super Bowl as a player and a coach. Um that I think he could be great in like media because I just think his coaching days are done. Like he's only sixty two, uh, but I mean you look at the record the last few years. He, he was not winning games, uh, definitely not this offseason. I cannot see his name being linked to any head coach openings this year. And again, maybe in the future someone takes a chance on Rivera as like a culture setter because he was good. You know, especially given you know when he took over, you had Dan Snyder, you had the name change and everything that took place there. Now they got new ownership, and that was kind of the first uh, nail was like, okay, new ownership. They're not beholden to Rivera, but they'll let him, you know, coach this year out and give him a fair shake. And, again, he's given all the opportunities there. And the team just – it stunk. And it was, you know, it's partly his fault because he is the person who's coaching the games um, with the roster that they can – and they had trade off some guys at the deadline to recuperate draft assets. Uh, I think that's a good job for uh, somebody. If they want it, the vision is very tough, though. But uh, it sucks that this is how Ron's career is going out. Because he's a likable guy. It's just unfortunately you're coaching. Uh, the game's kind of passed you by a little bit. You just had a bad year, so it was the end of a line for Ron Rivera. I wish him best of luck in whatever his next endeavors. I think, like I said, I think it'd be good on TV. That's just me speaking of what I hope to see. But who knows where what the future holds for him. Uh, Dalton, your thoughts on Ron Rivera being fired by the Washington Commanders? Uh, I think, you know, this one was a little bit, not going to say as, as bad as Arthur Smith's, but, um, you know, you feel like, you feel like it was kind of time. Like it was, we'd waited a few years and we just, I mean, we didn't really see as as much progress as we did in Carolina and um I mean that division with Cowboys and the Eagles um 
I mean, it was it was just hard, and I'm not sure. You know, maybe maybe Washington wants to go a different way now that they have new ownership. They want to go with a different different team, a different coach, and there should be. I feel like this this position could be good, um, depending on who takes over, but. You know, I feel like there's some good pieces, good coaches that are still on the staff, and Washington could be good under the right leadership. I feel like Ron was good for, for I guess, them getting back into the fold temporarily, but I don't know, something about you just never felt that he was the long-term solution, um, which is which is okay, I think. I mean, that's that's okay. That's you know, things happen for a reason. So maybe he's, you know, maybe, maybe he's meant to try something else. Maybe he's meant to go somewhere else and make an impact there. So we'll have to, we'll have to see. And, um, but I mean, during his time, not, not too bad. I think, I think the ending was a little bit, was, was pretty bad, but you know, the beginning was okay. And middle, you you know you do what you can and you know it's not like he was you know i think the last couple of years you know working with a bunch of different quarterbacks and um never really knowing what you got and i mean that's we've we've really never seen aside for cam, aside from cam newton with rivera i mean the that potential was insane i mean we saw them get to a super bowl and you know, they were able to win games, a lot of games during the regular season. Um, but it just seemed like, you know, with Ron Rivera, apparently he's a defensive coach and um, it just it just wasn't clicking. So, you know, now we're, we'll, we'll see where he goes now. But I think, you know, he's due for he's due for another good opportunity. And, you know, maybe he can make the most of make the most of the next one and uh, keep it, keep it rolling. All right, Christian, your thoughts on the commanders firing Ron Rivera after four seasons with the franchise. Um, As sad as it is, like I knew this was coming for Ron. Um, I, I think unlike Arthur Smith, I don't think it was deserved, but I can understand it. Right. With, with Ron Rivera, I feel so bad for him because Look at the three owners he had to deal with in Carolina and Washington. Jerry Richardson obviously had some uh, – I, I forget the exact issues, but he had issues uh, outside of Carolina that kind of came back to haunt him for new ownership to uh, come into Carolina. We obviously – we've talked about Tepper a lot on this show, how just awful the Carolina ownership was. But they had their own new ownership. They wanted to go a separate way. And now they're, you know, 2-15, and 15 and they don't even have their first overall pick to uh, go into this year. And I don't even know who Carolina is going to hire. They're probably going to hire, you know, a you know C-plus kind of offensive or defensive coordinator this year just so they can get a new head coach in that building because Tepper in Carolina, it's one of the, it's looks like one of the worst organizations right now in the entire NFL. And then Dan Snyder, what more can I say really more to him? Uh, you know, not having, you know, just a lot of racial, a lot of uh, uh, sexual discrimination going on against him. Uh, not keeping the uh, 
you know, the stadium in check. You had seats falling and gates falling out. And, you know, Dan's like, up, okay, whatever. And, you know, he wasn't the best owner there. And he's had a deal with all three of those owners. And then now new ownerships into the commanders. Uh, they have new GMs uh, coming in, which uh, the Golden State GM, former Golden State GM, he's now going to the football realm and seeing if he can make Washington something. And Ron Rivera, the, the shockest saint of them all, uh, back when the game, back when the season was 16 games in 2019, he won the NFC East. Yes, he went seven and nine, but he made something out of uh, Washington. I think Taylor Heineke was the main quarterback there. So he was decently successful over in Washington, what he could be. You know, he had no control that his best two defensive ends were going to get uh, going to get traded. Montez going over to Chicago, and then you got Chase Young going into San Francisco. He had no control over that. You know, the, the drafting has not been the best. Jermaine Davis, who was a uh, draft pick two years ago, he was an inside linebacker from Kentucky. He has not been the best uh, player for what you expect a first-round player to be. The quarterback situation was absolutely terrible. Even though Sam Howell had, did his best in some games, and the Commanders had good games this year, where you know their offense was very good. The enemy really tried to make that offense work at times, and the defense had some strong cases at times. But Ron Rivera was decently successful in his time. But like we mentioned, new ownership, new leadership going on in Washington. They want to have a clean slate. They have the number two overall pick. Do they go up to go get Caleb Williams? Do they stay at two and pick up Drake May or another quarterback they really like, like Bo Nix, Jalen Daniels? You know, there's going to be a ton of discussion in Washington, especially when February and March comes around, when we're talking about the draft mostly. So Washington, they're going to have this new stage. You know, now as every – Every part of leadership is going to be a commander. And, of course, you know, they weren't the football team like they were a couple years ago in the former name. They were before then. But now this is the commander's era uh, of leadership and ownership. And Ron Rivera, as sad as it is, he had to be like, go. Yeah, uh, you mentioned Carolina briefly during that just because, I guess, Ron had ties to Carolina. Uh, Panthers also in the news because Scott Fitter has been fired as the GM. And it was also a move that you kind of saw coming once, you know, you can't just keep blaming the coaches. Like Frank Reich got fired part through the year. He wasn't good, but, you know, part of that also is the GM. The roster, they won two games. Like he had to go. You know, Matt Rule, it soured really quickly um, with him. And, again, you fired two coaches in two years. Both in the middle of the season, Tepper did. And now the GM, like, you had a clean house with him. You can start to rush that won two games. Reportedly, he was the one who was very high and pushed for Bryce Young to be picked. And while I do believe that Bryce will have a bounce back year next year and have a good career overall, you can tell early on that yeah, C.J. Stroud was like, far away better than Bryce Young and that that should have been the pick. You know, again, it's one year in. You can do revisionist history. Maybe next year the conversation shifts more, and Bryce Young's still a better quarterback. Either way, 
has a GM fitter, you know, just some questionable draft picks. That's just one of the many. The, the roster, again, you can't, you can, I, I, like I've mentioned, you can only win two wins so many times. Like, you can't keep doing that. Something had to change there. And again, I don't know who who's going to want to work for Tepper necessarily, but there's 32 GM jobs. There's 32 head coaching jobs. Carolina's hiring both. Someone will take that job just because, you know, it's their lifelong dream to be a head coach, to be a general manager of a football team. But no one wants to work for David Tepper. Like that, I think, is far away. Been clear um, with this year. But someone will bite the bullet just because the pay will be really good. And Tepper's got a lot of money that you can afford to pay a GM and a head coach of decent salary. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's all I'm going to say there. We'll see who they hire, but I guarantee it will be someone. Um, I guess they lack morals, but someone that's, you know, doing it a lot more for the money than uh, anything else is what my gut tells me right now. But, Dalton, your thoughts on the Panthers firing their general manager, Scott Fitter, after three seasons with the franchise. I mean, this is <laughs> – this organization uh... – is completely fallen off. I mean, the wheels are off. And, I mean, when is it going to be time for something to happen to Tepper? Like, when is, when is, when is something going to, when is, you know, I, I don't, like, when are the other owners in the league going to be like, hey, this guy just probably isn't a good apple to have on the tree. Like, maybe he shouldn't be an owner. You know, like, we, we just we just let this guy do whatever the heck he wants. You see it was reported, was it a few last game or two games ago, where he had that interaction with the fan? Like, what is that? What is your problem? Like, you're a guy who makes a billion dollars, a lot of money. You make a lot of money, a lot of money. Like, myself, Spencer, or Christian would dream of having. And you got to do that stuff. You got to, you have to, you were doing a poor job, a piss poor job of being the owner of the Carolina Panthers. And you're just firing people left and right because, you know, they're the scapegoats. They're, you, you've got to be, as an owner, you have to take charge. You have to be the guy as, like, we have got to put this thing on track. We've got to do this. And you, you, you know, you, you do know that your attendance numbers are down, right? I mean, like, I'm not even sure that he knows that. You know, I, hell, I don't even know if he attends the games. You know, as far as I'm concerned, he doesn't care. But, you know, this, the wheels have fallen off for this organization. And I wouldn't be shocked if they hired someone who's never been a GM before, someone who doesn't have experience in that position, someone who is maybe director of player personnel who wants to get up there. Spencer, you mentioned someone who really wants to be a GM, really wants to be a coach. I kind of agree. Like, He's going to find two people that he can control, Tepper is, and then when things start going sideways, 
he's probably going to fire him again. And we're going to be back to square one. I mean, this is ridiculous. This is ridiculous. I mean, I mean, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm literally dumbfounded. I, 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 like, and I'm not even a Carolina Panthers fan. But you know what we're seeing happen here, and like, I feel bad for Bryce. I feel bad for the quarterback because the quarterback still got to be there. He's under contract. I mean, the poor guy's going to be there for another three or four years. Um. And, you know, he's got to deal with this dysfunction. <laughs> I don't think so. If I was him, I'd be talking to my agent today. Like, get me out of here. I don't care if I got to back up for two years. Whatever we got to do within the legal aspect to get me out of this place, we do it. You know, I, 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 I like, I really don't care if you're number one pick, number two pick, number three pick, whatever. Doesn't matter where you're drafted, or well, I guess it does. Excuse me, in terms of pick order, but it matters where you go. And Bryce got drafted to an awful team, an awful. I'm not gonna say awful franchise historically, but like they're going downhill, and they're going downhill fast. And you know how long is it gonna be before we look up and three years from now Bryce Young is, you know. Looked at his bus because he's surrounded by dysfunction. You're talking about other guys that they had. The guy traded – Scott Fitterer traded away DJ Moore for picks. Chicago has their pick. I mean, what the hell are we doing? What are we doing? Do we have our eyes closed? And it's like throwing darts at a board, man. They just – they just – they just – just whatever, whatever sticks. You know, they're trading away a bunch of picks, trading them to get Bryce Young. You know, Chicago's a really good situation right now. You think you think that you think the Carolina fans are happy that they made that trade? I mean, I don't I don't know any Carolina fans, but I venture to say no. Um, and you know, I mean, yeah, I just feel bad for the players. I feel bad for the players. I feel bad for the fans. And you know, we'll have to see what happens. But those are just kind of my thoughts. And more, I guess, on the general manager firing and Tepper situation. But, yeah. All right. Christian, your thoughts on the Carolina Panthers making a GM change after the season? Um, It's going to be awful. You know, it's it's not it, – after what I saw out of Jacksonville, it's something that every single coaching candidate doesn't want to do. I know there's going to be some people because, you know, money talks, you know, as much as we all hate it, you're all going to, you know, people are going to bend the knee to the green, right? And Carolina, no, like, it's not a Bryce Young thing. It's not a roster thing. It's an owner thing. You're not going to want to deal with an owner. And probably that be the major question of almost every single post-game interview. Oh, did Tepper throw another beer at somebody? Did he go and beat somebody up? Like he's like a six-year-old trying to run a team? You know, is he, you know, did he whine and complain and throw, you know, a little fit in his uh, upper deck? Who knows? The Carolina Panthers, as sad as it is, they were a terrible team. I don't know if it's all Bryce Young. Personally, I don't think it is. I don't think it's all the offensive coordinator. I mean, shoot, they had an opportunity to win that game in Tampa Bay, 
I mean, that defense only allowed nine daggum points. If their offense could do anything and hold the ball, very similar situation to what C.D. Lamb did in the Dallas-Detroit game. Maybe that game's a little bit closer. Maybe Carolina wins their third game. And, hell, maybe even the Saints are in the playoffs. Who knows at this point? But with Tepper and Carolina, Fer, you know, Ferrer, like, he's he, – he was a fine GM his first year. Was he tremendous in the draft classes? Not really. Yes, J.C. Horn was pretty good. Uh, Ikeem, the offensive tackle out of NC State, has been good. Bryce Young, has he been as good as C.J. Stroud? Absolutely not. But there's still possibly something there uh, in Carolina. We just don't know. I know I was high on him. And I still kind of am. Just we need to see, how, you know, what offensive coordinator, you know, what real coach is going to have to deal with Tepper and how terribly he has run Carolina the last several years, the last half decade. And Carolina has now become – the worst organization in the entire NFL, like I mentioned. So, uh, you know, as sad for Federer it is, you know, he'll, you know, he was the director of pro scouting with the Seattle Seahawks and was successful. I think that's probably where something he does and goes back to. Uh, he probably doesn't want to be, you know, in the same year with an owner, just do his thing with scouting and really focus his attention on that and make whatever organization he works for that much successful, that much more successful if it's at a bigger organization. So for Carolina, they're just going to hire any coordinator, any coach that wants to bite on the head coaching line and deal with the ownership. So I think Carolina is going to get set back for five-plus years because of Tepper and honestly hope the NFL steps in in the next year or two. Okay, yeah, we'll see about uh, that. But, yeah, that's uh, that was all on Monday. But the firings didn't stop there. Tuesday, uh, again, this had been a, a thing that was kind of reported, was possibly going to happen there. Uh, and on Tuesday, Mike Vrabel was let go as the Tennessee Titans head coach. And I get it. If you look at, you know, his record, he has regressed. You know, 2020 – they won 11 games, uh, made the wild card round that year, was the, and they were the uh, one seed. Or is that 21? They were the one seed in 21. Um, they earned the one seed in the AFC. 2019, they made it to the conference championship game. Um, but since that one seed, and even like 2022, the Titans, they got to a hot start. Um, and again, we'll mention the division, AFC South, in a bit, because I've been, I got a uh, soapbox I want to hop back on for a second later on. But last year, you know, the Titans, they were 7-3 after week 11. And they lose every game the rest of the way down the stretch there. Um, and I guess Bray was a guy that I kind of saw a, like, a couple years ago when we did our prediction. I thought there was a potential that they could overreact and fire him, make him the first coach fired. Uh, again, I like the job Bray was done. He's a great coach. He'll get hired this cycle. I will almost guarantee you that. Um uh, but, again, they've regressed. They won six games this year. Uh, but also, look who played quarterback. You shuffled Ryan Tannehill, Will Levis, and Malik Willis. Say what you will about all three guys there. Um, they're all limited, at least at the moment, because Levis was just a rookie this past year. Um, and it was basically became, you know, uh, 
The owner decided to stick with Rand Cawthorn, who just got there um, last year after they fired John Robinson, and they let Brable go. And I think it's a mistake. I get it. You just hire the GM. You don't want to let the GM go necessarily uh, this way. But it's like a couple years ago, they had the one seed. Didn't they trade away A.J. Brown because they didn't want to pay him, which makes no sense. Look what A.J. Brown's done with Philadelphia. Uh, I know I got injured on Sunday, but look what he's done there. Um, and it, it just makes no sense that uh, – and I get they want to fire him now instead of, you know, potentially waiting out a, a trade, which you can do. We saw Sean Payne uh, last year get traded after sitting out for a year. Bill Belichick famously was traded from the Jets to the Patriots. Uh, it does happen. But Tennessee basically value – they're like, we don't want to sit around and wait and have the guy that we want just take the take a job somewhere else while we're figuring out draft pick compensation for a guy. So they let, they let Brable go. Um, there's a few rumors uh, that he'll be taking a job that is not currently available at the moment that we will not speculate on. I will not speculate on. You guys want to do that, you two. Uh, feel free. If listeners, you want to do that, that's on you. Um, but Brable's going to get a job this cycle. He is just such a good coach. And like those past two years, you can kind of write off as not necessarily his fault. Uh, you know, they have Derrick Henry, who's getting older, I know. Maybe uh, Derrick Henry him can become a package deal somewhere where it's like, hey, we're going to hire Vrabel, and then he's going to bring in uh, Derrick Henry. We'll see what happens there. Um, but it's a bit of fall from grace, but I think if he gets in the right situation, whether it be, you know, the Chargers job there, uh, the Raiders have some infrastructure in place. There's another job that just became open earlier today that we'll talk about in a second. Wherever he's taking the next job, because I think he'll be a head coach somewhere, he's going to be get hired this cycle. If it's a good infrastructure, they'll be competing for the playoffs in year one with him. They'll be competing for their conference and the division by year two at the least. And does he get to the Super Bowl eventually? Who knows? That remains to be seen for a lot of coaches, obviously. But I think it's a mistake for Tennessee, but I also think it's the best thing for Vrabel. Because he gets a fresh start somewhere else where I think he'll have a lot more success than if he has stuck around Tennessee for another year. Dalton, your thoughts on the uh, the news earlier uh, yesterday that Mike Vrabel has been terminated as the Tennessee Titans head coach? I, you know, I, I think, I think you know, a uh, part of me was, you know, a little bit, I think I used the word shocked a little bit too much on this podcast but it, it is a it is a true emotion for this for this new for this piece of news um yeah i i think with coaches you like to see improvement you know this guy is improved every year um taking a little bit of a downfall but you know again that's you know you know like okay as long as you can get back up as long as there's a reason for hey like this is why we had an off year you know, whether it's injuries or, you know, tough schedule, you know, you just can't match the talent with the schedule or whatever, you know, whatever it is. You know, I, I thought that he was going to be there for another year. Um, but, you know, it's clear, crystal clear that Tennessee wants to go in a different direction. And, uh, you know, best of luck to him. You know, I think you 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 you'd have to be crazy not to not to hire this guy at least you know for the regular season wise. I mean, this guy is he's done a good job with what he's had, and I know people are gonna be like, well, he's had Derrick Henry and you know AJ Brown, um, 
Derrick Henry, six foot four, you know, just an absolute monster, just an absolute beast at running back. And while that might be true, or what you know, while that it was true, you know, I think you know, the rest of your team matters. I think there's one distinct thing that I remember about Frable's teams is that they were so good on defense with players who I'd never even heard of before. Like, I couldn't tell you a Tennessee cornerback. Like, from let's just let's just take their 12 win season, for example. I, I couldn't I couldn't tell you off the top of my head. You know, maybe Logan Ryan, maybe. But, you know, other than that, like the linebackers, never heard of them before. You know, they, he literally, I mean, he was, co- he was a really, he's a really good coach. He's a really good coach for the Titans. I think if you talk to any Titans fan, they're going to tell you, like, hey, like, Vrabel, Vrabel was really good for us. And they're going to go a different way now. So, you know, you leave Titans fans with saying, well, you know, can we can we get like, someone who is variable on the offensive side, who's a pretty you know like underrated coach, good enough to win games? You know we'll we'll see, but it's you know, you know I I think particularly for variable, he's gonna have other opportunities. Um. You know, I I think you know he could take he could take any of them tomorrow, um. Uh, whether it's college or pro, um. I believe that he's done enough in this league where it's you know, it's like hey we 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 like your resume, you know the other team's like hey we like your resume, why don't you come coach for this team and we'll we'll see what happens. We'll give you three four years and. You know, see see what you can do. Um, yeah, I mean he's he's got a good resume. You say what you want, he's got a good resume, and you've got to you got to feel like he's can he can he can go and do the same thing at another team, um, no matter the division or location. All right, Christian, your thoughts on Mike Brable being let go with the Tennessee Titans? Uh, personally, of all the head coaching moves so far, this is the worst one. Um, the fact that you want to fire Mike Vrabel, who has done everything to make Tennessee relevant in the last half decade, and this year the roster was terrible. It was terrible. You trade away the best offensive weapon you have in A.J. Brown, still very good in young receiver, to get an out-of-prime DeAndre Hopkins, Hopkins is probably going into the NFL, but no one can say he's in this prom. He had a four-touchdown game with Will Levis. That's great, but that's not consistent. And look this year. It's not consistent at all. And you have a terrible quarterback in a situation where Tannehill is gone. Um, you know, Malik Willis, he was a third-round guy, fourth-round guy out of Liberty. You know, yes, he. I would think he was probably the second-best quarterback behind Kenny Pickett, but, you know, still, we all know, you know, third year in, probably not going to be, uh, you know, one of the top guys they really look forward to in the quarterback position. Will Levis, you know, 
early second round. I think he was the second pick in the second round. He was, you know, he was a fine quarterback for moments, you know, leading drive against the Miami Dolphins. He had that four touchdown game. He shows some, uh, like, he shows some promise, but we don't know that just yet. You know, in Kentucky, he was good in his, uh, I think it was sophomore year. His final season in Kentucky, he wasn't as good. But, you know, there's still something there with Will Levis. And this roster, I mean, just wasn't great. They didn't have tremendous pass rushers. You know, you know they weren't very good consistently with their linebacking. Secondary was kind of eh, right? They're not good. They weren't a tremendous roster going into this year. And there's a reason they, you know, only won a handful of games. They weren't very good for a ton of reasons. And that the reason to fire your head coach. I, I would 100% understand if, you know, this would be, you know, the hot seat. I think he would be, you know, him and Dennis Allen would be the top coaches that are on the hot seat uh, going into the 24-25 season. But to fire him after he's done, has had so much success, possibly that losing streak towards the end of the year, you know, hurt them. But, I mean, it's Ryan Tannehill's play. Defense is understood. Hey, we stopped Derrick Henry. And focus on that. Ryan Tannehill ain't going to do a daggum thing. And he hasn't done a daggum thing. He hasn't done a daggum thing, honestly, since Miami when they were a wild card team back, I want to say, in like 2016, 2017. And heck, if that doesn't do anything, I don't think he's done anything since Texas A&M days. So Ryan Tannehill has been a mediocre quarterback at best. And the fact that they had that situation with Tannehill, Willis, and Levis. And to get rid of Rabel, my opinion, worst mistake Tennessee should have done. So, you know, wherever he goes, I think he's going to be very successful if he becomes a defensive coordinator, which there's a lot of defensive coordinators who could be uh, going to, you know, different places. We could see uh, Dan Quinn of the Dallas Cowboys. If he moves on to take a head coaching job, shoot, Mike Rabel. You don't want to deal with Micah Parsons. You don't want to deal with Deron Slant. You don't want to deal with uh, Trayvon Diggs. You don't want to deal with any of those guys. Like, that's that's a roster and defensive lineup I would 100% look at if Dan Quinn decides to leave. But Brable is such a good coach. He is going to get, uh, you know, a coaching role in the next year in the NFL. It, you know, it's only a matter of time of just seeing when and where he goes. Yeah, and he's got the choice to be uh... – kind of picky of where which job he wants to take because he has all these suitors after him that he doesn't necessarily need to rush to get a job like Carolina, which I know we're dunking on Carolina a lot, but it's too easy. I'm sorry. Uh, another job that became open earlier today, Pete Carroll, uh, no longer the head coach of the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, they have termed it, you know, he's moving up kind of an advisor role. Uh, in the front office, kind of similar to uh, what Bruce Arians did a few years back. Although Bruce Arians made that choice himself. This one appears like it was not uh, mutual, given that uh, Pete Carroll in his press conference said, uh, kind of alluded to this was not necessarily his decision. He wanted to continue to coach, etc. That uh, like he's, he's like he wants to coach, even though he is getting up there in age. Uh, at the moment, he is 72, the second oldest coach in the NFL behind Belichick. Um, 
Again, if he stays in the advisory row in the front office, I think Seattle, they're in good hands there. Uh, like Christian mentioned, Dan Quinn, can can I pick his choose, pick and choose where he wants to go? He was with Seattle during the uh, the Super Bowl run uh, and was, you know, the Legion of Boom, et cetera, there. That, that would make sense to him come back to that role. Uh, I would not be shocked if Pete Carroll returns to being a head coach somewhere else, just given that it seems like he still wants to coach. Is it this year? I, I would maybe say no, just because they seems like Seattle they want to move into the front office role and have him there. Um, but I think after a year or two, even though he is getting old, um, if he has that itch, like who wouldn't take a chance on Pete Carroll? They went nine eight the last few years. Last year they were a seventh seed. This year they missed the playoffs barely. But he, he's still a winner. 137 wins in his career. Uh over 600 winning percentage. Has won his Super Bowl, been to another. Um, and like he's a good coach. Like, I don't I necessarily agree with Seattle doing this. Um, if Pete wants to still coach. But also it's a business, and you can look at it as like, okay, you've maybe reach your ceiling. We don't think you're going to be the coach to win the Super Bowl again in Seattle. And maybe you bring in a guy who, like I said, Dan Quinn, who has success with Seattle as a DC with Atlanta until the very end. They made a Super Bowl with Atlanta. They lost it, but he still made the game. Um, that's definitely the, uh, the pick number one right now. If you're Seattle's uh, owner is to go after that hire. And again, we will break the hires down when they happen, but this one, I guess if people want to still coach, I think you'd let him coach. Because he I think he's earned that winning the only Super Bowl in franchise history and going to another the next year. Um, but I, I get it. You wanna maybe usher in the new uh regime in Seattle because you don't want to be caught like a year or two late and it's like, oh, we don't have a successor plan here. Uh and then you know the team bottomed out. So the team at least has some kind of window that you think they can be competitive in in the short term. Uh, Dolan, your thoughts on Pete Carroll being let go as the head coach of the Seattle Seahawks? I think I think it sucks for Seattle. You know, I think it, it you know more so the Seahawks than um, Pete Carroll. I think Pete Carroll. You know, I yeah, you know, I thought that he was going to be the coach next season. I thought he was going to be the coach season after that, season after that, season after that. You know, until he wanted to retire on his own power. You know, you're talking about a guy that has had three losing seasons, three, since taking over the team in 2010. Three losing seasons. Think about that. And the the amount of games that he has won, the least amount of games that he's won in a season, is seven. You know how many people would pray for that? I, I mean, that's that's his floor. And he's talking about 2010, still made the playoffs with the 7-9 team. 2011 missed. Um, 2012, 13, 14, 15, 16, all made the playoffs. 17 missed it in the 9 and 7. 18, 19, 20 made the playoffs. 21 missed it. Um, 22 made it. 23, just barely. You know, I mean, this this guy's really good. And you're talking about like I'm ta- I'm speaking as someone who who my favorite team has to face him twice a year. I mean, he he play you know, like his teams are ready to play, and they're gonna give him give him give him they're gonna give you their best every single Sunday, and you know for them to put him in it like an advisory role, 
I feel that's kind of insulting. Like you, you, you can tell you can tell the guy can still coach. And you're talking about he went nine and eight in the NFC West, in which the Rams had a resurgence. We 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 know what San Francisco can can do. Um, the Cardinals are bad, but they were competitive. They were they were beating teams left and right. And they finished second in the West last year, so their schedule was not exactly easy. And they went; they still went nine and eight. You know, they were dealing with injuries. Every team deals with injuries, sure. But I mean, I felt that that's that it's just not fair. I'm sure life's not fair. You can you can say that all you want, but I felt like Pete Carroll didn't deserve this. I mean, this is, I mean, as 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 soon as I saw the news. I almost got happy, not because Pete Carroll's not the coach anymore, but because like somebody else is going to take over that team, and if then if that somebody else doesn't have doesn't have the amount of head coaching experience and is not as good as head coaches as Pete as as Pete is, the Rams and 49ers are going to win next year. Sweep them. They're going to sweep them. That's just that's two wins. It's two wins for the both of us because you know it's tough playing Pete Carroll's teams. It's tough, man. I mean, you don't know if you're going to win the game as someone who's playing against them in division because his teams are ready to play. And you know, I, I feel I feel bad for Seahawks fans. Um I feel like Pete Carroll had a few more years left in him. Um, you know, Bill's still coaching. Bill's still coaching the Patriots. You know, he's he's much older than, you know, not much, but you know few years older than Pete Carroll and he's energized man if you look at social media if you look at Seattle's post game you know talks inside the locker room on their on their you know social media pages you know Pete's jumping up and down he's got his hat on backwards he's like he's like a little kid out there and you know this just sucks this just stinks and um I wouldn't be shocked if Seattle just hired from within. I think I think Dan Quinn's a quality candidate. Um, I also wouldn't be shocked if they just, you know, move Shane Waldron up from offensive coordinator to head coach. Um, but I guess we'll we'll obviously be uh, seeing what happens here soon. All right, Christian, your thoughts on Pete Carroll being let go from his head coaching duties in Seattle? Uh, it stings for sure. Um, uh, I mean, like y'all mentioned, I mean, Pete Carroll has done a tremendous job in Seattle. I mean, he's won one Super Bowl, and honestly, he's a pass from the yard one yard line out from winning two. Um, the fact that this man has really made Seattle a competitive team, pretty much all you know all of the time. Uh, it's never been the superpower since that time. Uh, you know, the Legion of Boom retiring and, you know, Russell Wilson out of his prom years. It hasn't been that same feel, but Seattle has made some noise. Um, I mean, shoot, they were a Packers loss away from being the seventh seed again uh, and going, you know, back into the playoffs. And they were – they were, you know, they would put up a fight against Dallas, maybe not win, but they would 100% put up a fight against Dallas, um, even with the quarterback situation not being 
uh, the same with Gino kind of regressing and Drew Locke, you know, kind of being in and out. So, you know, with Pete Carroll being let go as the head coach, but still being at a, an advisory role is a slap in the face to him, to his legacy that he's brought there. Um, if they wanted to move on, they just got to say, hey, you know, as a Seattle organization, next year we're moving on. Doesn't matter. Um, unless it's like Super Bowl win, it, it really doesn't matter what happens. I think that would be a better role, uh, and we could understand it, than doing this out of the blue. Pete Carroll apparently has reported that he was kind of agitated and he was fighting for his spot. Uh, and what coach wouldn't? You know, Pete Carroll is not in a situation like a Bill Belichick where the team's not doing good. Uh, he's not energizing this team. He's trying to get his guys psyched. Uh, and it, this team's a fighting team. I mean, they beat the Philadelphia Eagles on Monday Night Football. Are they the same Philadelphia Eagles of last year? Oh, hell no. Are they the same Philadelphia Eagles who beat the Kansas City Chiefs on Monday Night Football? Oh, hell no. So, you know, the fact that Seattle can still go up against anybody, compete until the wheels fall off, and try and get this team in the best position possible to get into the playoffs, and the fact that you want to fire your head coach, bring in another guy in, I mean, like don't mention, unless it's Dan Quinn, like I don't know if there's a lot of, you know, a lot of people in Seattle being like, oh, you know, we're taking this guy over um, Pete. I just don't know. It's got to be like a Ben Johnson situation. It's got to be like a Kellen Moore situation. Like, you got to get a good offensive mind to get in there uh, to help with the quarterback situation, whatever it's going to be. You know, because they did extend Geno Smith. I think they got two more years on that deal. Um, You know, see what Seattle has for that. Try and build that offensive lineup. Defense has played really tremendous. Devon Weatherspoon, rookie out of Illinois. He was, I think, a top five pick uh, with, you know, with Seattle. Very good player, really stood out against the game against the New York Giants, which, I mean, anybody can. I mean, I think I could have a really good performance against the New York Giants, but it's an absolute shame that Pete Carroll, who's probably the best coach the Seattle Seahawks have ever had, is, you know, kind of disrespected in, in this way, being let go as a head coach, but want to stick around to be an advisor for whatever reason. All right. Thank you, Christian, for that. Uh, that will do it for our, uh, you know, head coach and one GM firing that we've had. Again, we will update as the jobs come in and get filled. If there's a surprise firing after this weekend, we're also, we will talk about that on next week's episode uh, as well. And again, like, this is, that's what we do here. We talk uh, games. We talk uh, what's going on around the league. And we'll give our opinions on if we think the hires are going to be successful or not, um, and we'll see how wrong we are because we've been—I've been wrong a lot. Think that guy was going to work out, and it didn't happen that way. Uh, but anyway, week eighteen recap: the regular season in the books, and for the final time this season, I will be talking about the New England Patriots. At least the regular season, there could be some personnel moves uh, in the coming days that take place. Uh, stop me if you've heard this before, guys. This game set football back decades this game 
<laughs> it's the Patriots and the Jets. They have played some of the worst football games in the last two years. Like, just those two years, they've had so many awful football games. It's like, why am I watching this? Like, you got to be a sick person to want to watch this Patriots-Jets game, especially because there was a ton of great games going on that had playoff implications. I don't believe anyone uh, outside of Patriots and Jets fans watched this game. I didn't catch Red Zone, but I imagine Red Zone showed none of the game because I don't think anyone found the Red Zone until like the very end of the game um, there. But in the last year, you've had scores of 10-3 to with a walk-off punt return, a 15-10 to game earlier this year that almost had a Hail Mary uh, by Zach Wilson. And in this game, it, the final score is 17-3. This is a field goal game left and right. And you had a late touchdown run by Brees Hall that made it 17-3 to because they added a two-point conversion on it. Uh, but, yeah, this was a kicking game. Greg Zerline, uh, you know, had three field goals that were good. Chad Ryland had one in the second quarter. Uh, the game was played in the snow, which I think is relevant a bit because the snow made it uh, to where, you know, it's hard to pass, the wind and everything. Um, and also, late in the game, one of the most fascinating uh, things I've ever seen where a guy throws two interceptions on the same drive, and yes, you heard me correctly, although technically I guess it's a different drive, uh, but Bailey Zeppi threw two interceptions on the same drive. It's 9-3. to three. They're driving. It's an interception, but then the ball is knocked out. There's a fumble. The Patriots recovered the fumble, and they take over again. But two plays later, Mac Jones throwing another interception. Um, and, or not Mac Jones, Bailey Zappi. Gosh, it's been a long year. And I <laughs> finally mixed up the two quarterbacks for my beloved team. Bailey Zappi throws another interception. Two interceptions in a couple minutes, or like not even a minute apart in game time. And like I said, they ran it with Brees Hall. He gets a 50-yard touchdown run. Uh, just piling on. A great year for Brees Hall. Who, uh, again, I hate the Jets, but I love Brees Hall. He's a fun guy. The quarterback plays, it was awful. Um, again, if you didn't watch this game, you did not miss much. The New York Jets have ended the 15-game losing streak to the New England Patriots. It was the first regular season win in Foxborough since 2008. The first non-overtime regular season win in Foxborough since 06. Uh, the first win in Foxborough in general since 2010, the playoff game where the Jets came in and won 20-21 with Mark Sanchez. Uh, all sorts of streaks ending um, for the Jets. Uh, also, 2010 was the last time the Jets won a non-overtime game against the Patriots uh, in the regular season. Just because since 2011, New York's won twice, both in overtime. Um, I hate this. I, I want the streak to continue. That was the one thing I was almost sure of before the year. Even with Aaron Rodgers, I was like, the streak needs to stay alive. And I thought it would. Even going in last week, I thought that we were going to win because the Jets are the Jets. Uh, but that streak ended. Um, and I hate it. But, you know, here we are. The season was a failure. Four wins. The third pick in the NFL draft. Uh, I'm on to the draft season. We'll see who they draft at third. But that is a wrap for the Patriots. I will no longer be talking about this team in a game capacity because they will not play any more games. Uh, and I hope to not talk with this team for a while. Uh, but I have a feeling they might make some move in the next few days that will require us to talk about them. 
next week. Um, I'll go a little different here. Christian, I'll go to you next. Your Packers, they had a streak of their own against the Chicago Bears. How did that go? So, yes, we play at the 4 25 o'clock window. Uh, it was America's Game of the Week for CBS, obviously. The biggest robbery in the NFL. Uh, sorry, Spencer, I think you and your Patriots and you and your Jets rivalry has to take a back seat to the legendary rivalry of the Green Bay Packers and the Chicago Bears. And this game meant a ton to Green Bay Packers fans. Personally, did not think we were going to be a win-and-end situation this year. This is the youngest team in the NFL, 25 years of age. And by the way, do you know the second youngest team in the NFL? That is the beloved, Dalton's beloved, I should say, LA Rams at 25.3 years old in the NFL. And, of course, Dalton is going to talk about them later on in the podcast. But we take on Chicago. And Green Bay, obviously coming into this week, we had an absolute beatdown on the Minnesota Vikings, 30-10. to Uh Minnesota really just did not show up at all against uh, the Green Bay Packers. And we had to deal with Jaron Hall. Thank goodness not Kirk Cousins or not even, you know, Dobbs Sanity with Josh Dobbs. We dealt with Jaron Hall. uh, And it was a very, very good day for us. But Chicago, these last couple of weeks, you know, even though they lost some close games late uh, to Cleveland, they lost close one to Detroit. Uh, they had a really, they absolutely destroyed the Atlanta Falcons in week 17. So coming into this game, they were seeking to do exactly what Detroit did last year, where Green Bay was also in a winning in situation and then gave Seattle Seahawks uh, a way to get into the playoffs last season. So Chicago, they wanted to do the exact same thing to the Green Bay Packers, just tear out their hearts, stomp on them on the ground. And this was in Lambeau. Green Bay has not won, or Green Bay has not lost to Chicago in Lambeau, and the last quarterback to do it, to lose to it, Matt freaking Flynn. Can you believe that? They lost, they beat Matt Flynn. They couldn't even beat Aaron Rodgers, the former owner of the Chicago Bears. They can't beat the new owner in Jordan Love of the Chicago Bears. So going into this game, I was confident. We did talk about this game. I did pick my pack, and. You know, was I worried in this game? 100%. And going into this game, I'm thinking, okay, if we can just handle Justin Fields, we just make sure he stays in the pocket. Our front seven is very good. Our secondary is very iffy. I think we traded away our best, one of our best cornerbacks, and Rajol Douglas, we, we sent him to Buffalo. Jair Alexander is getting suspended for doing shit he's not supposed to being a captain for Carolina, not even, you know, giving the okay, the thumbs up by Matt LaFleur. He's just doing his own thing, right? You know, we got uh, Carantine Valentine, who he was a fine cornerback in Kentucky, but he was drafted in the sixth round for a reason, right? And we got Eric Stokes. Yay. Like, that's not, not great right now, but I'm just like, okay, Darnell Savage, he's kind of in and out with injuries at times. I'm like, okay, maybe. Our front seven is very good. I really do like him. I love Rashawn Gary. I like Quay now if he's not beating, you know, he's not shoving people. He's not supposed to shove. And, you know, Kenny Clark obviously is a beast. 
I love Devondre Campbell. He's a very he's a good he's a very good player. He was very under uh, underused in Atlanta. Came to Green Bay, minimal deal. Made it all, I think it was all pro team. He was very good last year. So I'm thinking our defense is going to be fine. Christian Watson on offense is out. Jalen Reed, thank God, is in. And I think we're going to do okay. And, I mean, first two drives, I was just thinking after the game, because the very first drive, Chicago had it, went all the way down the field, kicked the field goal. Green Bay did the exact same thing. They missed the field goal. And I'm thinking we're going to lose to Chicago Bears. It's 3 to nothing, Christian. But my negative mind's thinking we we can't we can't hit a field goal in Green Bay. And Carlson has been has been very kind of hit and miss. He missed some chip shots in the Raiders. Like it, it gets his own brother. His older brother was better than him, which obviously when you're older and you've been in the league longer, you know it. But I'm like, oh boy. So three nothing early, and I'm just thinking, okay, we need we need to get the ball back. So, you know, Chicago had a five-play punt. And then next next drive, 11 plays all the way down, 92 yards. And Jordan Love passing it to Devontae Wicks for 10 yards. Oh, man, that was a good feeling. That's a good feeling. Seven to three. Thinking, okay, okay, we could have a shot here. Chicago's next drive, march all the way down the field. They get a field goal, six to seven. And I'm thinking, okay, 117, all three timeouts or excuse me, two timeouts, excuse me. I'm thinking Green Bay can make something. We get a field goal, I think we're fine. Ten to six at halftime. Wouldn't feel the most confident, but I would feel a little bit confident. So they get away down the field, and, you know, he's throwing it to freaking Bo Melton. Bo freaking Melton. If people don't know about this guy, the last guy who was actually good, you know, playing with the Chicago Bears and the Green Bay Packers, that was back when Henry Melton played. That big defensive lineman, y'all remember him? That guy was an absolute monster just blowing up Corey Lindsley and TJ Lang up the middle. Holy crap, that guy was atrocious. Well, this Melton, this dude was actually doing really good. This guy was a seventh-round pick from Rut- from Rutgers when he was driving the Seattle Seahawks last year, picked him up in free agency, practice squad guy. Because all of our receivers are hurt, he came up. He's been playing really well recently. And I'm thinking, okay, he's going to help us out. I think we're going to do really good, you know, for, you know, to get close in the field goal range, kick the field goal, go into halftime. So this was, you know, this was 11 seconds on the clock, right? Jordan Love passes it to Vontae Wicks for a couple of yards. Now, this was kind of controversial in some way. Uh, some people in this group chat, uh, some people on this podcast, they were laughing about it. They're like, oh my gosh, this is so funny. So here's exactly what happened, right? Devontae Wicks catches the ball. He gets hit by the Chicago, the Chicago Bear defensive back. And since he gets pushed out of bounds, he technically wasn't moving the ball forward. He was moving the ball back. So that does not, in you know, if the ball goes out of bounds, but the ball is not moving forward, or at least at a standstill, then the clock is still going to run. All the time left on the clock, which I think was like eight seconds. We were out of timeouts at that point. All about, you know, seven to eight seconds ran out, and Chicago ran as fast as they could to the locker room, and it was seven to six at halftime. And I'm thinking, all right, 
we've done fine against Justin Fields. We've, you know, we've done fine on offense. We still have to keep this going. So we get the ball back. You know, we get the ball in the, uh, in the beginning of the second half, ran it all the way down for a touchdown. Next drive, Chicago punts it away. Man, my heart freaking sank on this drive. Six plays, 31 yards. It's third and two at the 50. Third and two at the 50. And Jordan Love decided to call an audible. Uh, I think it was Elisa or Elisha. Uh, that's how the call was. And none of the receivers heard it. None of them. And, you know, sometimes when you call an audible, you see how the defense lines up, and you're thinking, hey, this play, it can do really well. Quick on the fly. Everyone knows what Alisa slash Alicia is. The receivers did not hear it. They were kind of almost blocking the defensive backs. Jordan Love, he decided, okay, none of the guys, you know, are running the right routes. I'm going to go ahead. And I'm just going to run to the right and hopefully get that first down. Third and two, Jordan Love, decently athletic. I think he's going to do just fine. Gets the first down. And then he tries to, like, swim move the freaking uh, linebacker. And he doesn't, you know, he doesn't raise his arm high enough. And the Chicago Bears helmet, you know, knocked the ball loose. Jordan Love loses it. Chicago gets it. At the 42-yard line, at, at Green Bay's 40, uh, sorry, in Chicago's 42. And I just sank. I'm like, there is no way this is going to be the turning of the tide, right? So we trade back a couple of field goals, and Chicago, you know, in a 9-17 to race, they have to get this in, right? They have to, have to, have to get into range to – uh, you know, you have to score a touchdown to make sure they can win this game. And they, at one point, were inside the 35. They were at the 34-yard line. And, by the way, in this game, they only called three penalties. They they, they called a three penalties in this game. Two of them were actually, like, enforced, right? You had one holding penalty for Chicago, and you had an offsides penalty on the same drive called against Green Bay. So these refs understood that this is going to be an intense game. This is a rivalry game. They're going to let them shove and hold and grab as long as they're atrocious. They're going to make sure that these guys, they're going to fight for every single yard. They're going to fight to win this game. And that's exactly what they did. And Chicago, having the holding penalties, getting sacked a couple of times, they had to punt the ball away. And then Green Bay... In a 12-play drive for six minutes. They, they had a whole six minutes, and they ran down the clock for 61 yards, and they got to win 17-9. And I, I'm super excited. In the preseason, I did not pick – excuse me. I did not pick my Green Bay Packers to go into the playoffs. I don't remember Dalton if he picked the Rams. I know for a fact that Spencer chose New England because he's a suck-up. I did not believe in my team. This team is the youngest team to make the playoffs in NFL history. There is a reason I did not pick my Packers to be in the playoffs. Heck, we almost lost to Carolina. We got beat by Tampa Bay. We got beat by the New York Giants. After beating the Chiefs on Sunday Night Football, when I'm thinking, okay, we're not winning the division, 
but man, can we get a playoff spot. Losing those two games, almost losing to freaking Carolina, I'm thinking Green Bay's done. Because we're going up against Minnesota on New Year's Eve. I don't, on Christmas Eve, I almost, you know, had to, you know, go in the hospital on Christmas Eve because Green Bay's giving me a daggum heart attack. And then I see, you know, Minnesota with their debacle going on over there, you know, them just pretty much giving the game to Green Bay. I'm thinking we're in the perfect position, but Green Bay, we were in the perfect position with Aaron freaking Rodgers, and we couldn't do anything against Detroit. And we got Jordan Love, who I didn't really trust. I didn't like when he drafted him out of Utah State. But right now, I'm loving Love. And this is going to be a very interesting game. They are going to the playoffs, playing the Dallas Cowboys at 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 AT&T Stadium in Dallas. It's gonna be it's gonna be crazy. And we are gonna talk about that game later on, but my goodness, is that gonna be fun for me and to sit on my couch and all green bayed out. Hopefully we can get the win, but it's gonna be a very tough one. All right. This is the episode of Streaks ending or continuing. Dalton, I know the 49ers had a uh, a bit of a winning streak in the regular season against the LA Rams. But uh, what happened on Sunday with that streak? Oh, baby, that streak ended. Ended. No more. No more. It is over. It is over. The streak is over. The My beloved LA Rams uh, defeated the San Francisco 49ers in their place, mind you, in their place, um, in which the referees don't even bring the flags on the plane when they go to Santa Clara. That was a joke, but um, anyway, back on a serious note, um, they went into Santa Clara, and both teams had their backups, mind you, so it was even. It was even. Um, and uh, Carson Wentz was able to pull out the dub. I mean, this man, off of his couch, you know, was 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 in there for – Six or seven weeks, however long during during the win streak, probably because it was that we picked we picked him up after we lost at Green Bay, um, and uh, yeah, man, they did his thing. Uh, you know, they were able to to pull off the win and uh, some other th- some other good things to note. Um, Kobe Turner tied the rookie record for sacks with nine, and Puka Nakua. Broke the rookie record for receptions and receiving yards against the 49ers. Oh, how sweet it is. Um, there's no other opponent I would rather have those records tied or broken against than the San Francisco 49ers. Uh, and uh, just happy to see it. Um, I think winning this game was crucial because we knew that. Christian's team, the Packers, was going to beat the Bears. So, you know, I really did not want to go to Dallas. <laughs> I, I just wanted to get the sixth seed uh, to play a certain opponent that we'll cover later on. Um, you know, but I think, you know, for them to go 10-7 and seven was is, is more than I thought for sure. Like, I had them preseason at the seventh seed. I thought they were going to sneak in. 
and they just completely overachieved. Uh, so kudos to them. Maybe I should have a little bit more faith in my team, just a little bit. Um, but I mean, for this game, like 49ers were up early. Sam Darnold was dealing. <laughs> uh, it was 20 to seven at halftime and, uh, Rams just came back, shut him out in the second half. Raheem Morris, the man's got to get some coaching, some coaching, some, um, Head uh, coaching interviews. I think he's already got two or three or something like that. But, I mean, he's doing a heck of a job with this no-name defense besides Aaron Donald. I mean, who had ever heard of these guys besides me obviously coming on the podcast and talking about them? I mean, nobody even heard of these guys before, and they're balling out. Um, I, know, I know I get it. People are going to be like, well, it was against the backups. Well, they're still playing, aren't they? And if I'm not mistaken – uh, their starters did play the first half. Uh, and our starters played the first half too. So, um, yeah, I'm just happy to see it. And uh, now we we move on. It's playoff time, baby. It's playoff time. And uh, Christian's Packers are hot. You know, you guys won, what, six out of your last eight games or something like that? Mm-hmm. Yep. And um, we won seven out of our last eight. So, I think I think Packers and the Rams are going to be dangerous this playoffs. Um, so we'll have to we'll have to see how this goes. But I, I think I'm happy for this week. You know, beating San Francisco in the last last week of the game, last last week of the season, uh, the regular season was um, was a nice little New Year's present, if you will, <laughs> uh, for the uh, Bishop household. So yeah man that's how that's how the uh the Rams into their season ten and seven and uh we move on it's playoff time baby so I'll throw it back to you Spence all right thank you for that now on to the rest of the league recap starting with game of the week we'll start first with Christian this week Christian who what was your game of the week game of the week had to feature the Saturday matchup between the Houston Texans and the Indianapolis Colts this was in my opinion, the biggest game of the week because, you know, yes, obviously the Bills and Dolphins AFC East matchup and the winner takes the AFC East, but in one season was definitely going to end Houston and Indianapolis. These two teams, whoever won, they would have gotten in. Whoever lost, they would have sat out this year. Both rookie head coaches, both had drafted quarterbacks uh, in the top five with Houston going with C.J. Stroud, Indianapolis going Anthony Richardson, and, you know, Anthony getting hurt, getting hurt with, I think, in the fourth game uh, into his career and absolutely stunk for Indianapolis having to go to Gardner Minshew. And honestly, that was the one that lost it, right? In this game, Indianapolis, you know, they were slow to go. They were just handling – you know, they had an 11-play drive to begin the game. It was for almost six minutes. They were just slowly getting the first downs with Jonathan Taylor, with Gardner Minshew making some throws. They were just, you know, slowly but surely making their, making their way downtown, walking fast, going into the end zone. And they get into a field goal range, and they kick a field goal. Houston, what do they do? They just let it rip. They trust CJ, and he just let it go. To Nico Collins, who's absolutely been amazing the last couple of weeks, you know, since the Tank Dell injury for the year, and already like that was only a that was a one and done play. That was like a 
you know, that was a college basketball player kind of play, just one and done. And Houston Texans, they got it, and they're 7-3 to three right now. They both trade a crap ton of punts away. Houston finally getting an advantage about uh, close to the end, about more than halfway through the second quarter. On their next drive, they get a touchdown. They get a touchdown, and it, of course, you know, who not? C.J. Stroud going to Andrew Beck, former uh, tight end slash, you know, now fullback for Houston. He got a touchdown for the Houston Texans uh, trying to go into the end of the second quarter. Indianapolis, their next drive, they go to a field goal, and then they Houston punted away, and then it was the end of the half. So going into uh, going into halftime, it was 14-6 Houston. And I honestly think that the Houston Texans, they had a huge advantage going in. First drive, pretty much a uh, – a little better three and out four play. They had a first down on their first play, but a, a, a little bit glorified, better uh, three and out for the Houston Texans. Indianapolis in four place, in four place, they get it, um, they get a touchdown, get the two point conversion. They tie this ball game up. Now all of a sudden, it looks like it's Indy's game. Houston punts it away. Indianapolis march all the way down to the field. Missed the field goal. Missed it. And instead of taking a lead in this game, they throw it. Uh, they hit the crossbar, kind of boinked, and Indianapolis missed their opportunity to take the lead. Next two drives for both teams. They both hit field goals. It's 17-17. Indianapolis, they go. Uh, they have another drive, about a 12.5-minute drive, and they turn over on downs. Uh, and... Here's the situation with that, right? Gardner Manchu provided to uh, Goodson, who is a third-string running back behind Zach Moss and Jonathan Taylor in Indianapolis, right? And a lot of people want to blame Goodson. I don't think it's Goodson's fault. I don't want to say it was Gardner Manchu's fault. I don't want to say it's Shane Steichen's fault. It's no one's fault, right? This team had a ton of opportunities to take advantage in this game and they had a great advantage, right? They were in field goal range, and obviously they needed the touchdown to keep this game going. It was a minute six left in this game. And the ball, it could have been a better ball by Gardner Minshew. Yes, it was kind of low in the way, and it's tough for any player, backup running back or even a star wide receiver, to turn his body around because the ball wasn't good enough, turn the ball completely around, and it's even low to the ground, so has to bend over, and he had his fingertips on it. Had his fingertips on the ball, and he sadly dropped the ball. That cost him the game. Now, Houston Texans, they could not get um, they could not get, you know, a first down on their next drive. So when they were kind of back in the end zone, and then yeah, it looks like they're going to um, possibly try and block this kick to make it more of a game. Houston Texans, like a million IQ points. They go all the way back and actually cause themselves a safety in this situation to make sure they do not lose the football. Indianapolis does not score a touchdown, but they do get the safety that makes it 23-19. Then, you know, they, they punt it off uh, at the 35-yard line, and they try to do these lateral plays to make, uh, try to make a miracle happen. It, it did not work. It did fail. 
and the Houston Texans won 10, or excuse me, 23 to 19. I uh, got 23-19, Monsters Inc. fans. And Houston Texans are going into the playoffs. And they and we are going to talk about this later, possibly. But the Houston Texans with that, and the Jacksonville Jaguars uh, lost to the Tennessee Titans, who doesn't even have a head coach anymore, who won that game for them. They won the AFC South. They will get, be getting a uh, home playoff game against the Cleveland Browns, which we will talk about later on, but my game of the week, Houston Texans, Indianapolis Colts. All right. Thank you, Christian, for that. My game of the week, uh, I know you kind of alluded to it a little bit, Sunday Night Football, Bills-Dolphins for the AFC East. And, again, there was a scenario where the Dolphins could have won this game, and but they would have had a rematch the following week. With both these teams, and again, maybe Buffalo just stays in Miami because they're playing there again. Maybe they go home just for a little bit, just to be with family for a few days before going down. Uh, this was a crazy, again, if you like defense, this was the game for you. The defense showed up. I mean, again, you have Josh down on one side of the ball. He's going to throw at least two interceptions more often than not. Two had a couple interceptions that he threw uh, this game. Uh but it was very low scoring. Like A-Chain got the scoring start in the middle of the second quarter uh, to put it 7 nothing. Then uh, the the uh, the Buffalo Bills answered back with the Trent Sherfield touchdown to tie it up at 7. But then Tyreek Hill, as he does more often than not, finds the end zone in a game. He puts the Dolphins up 14-7. to And again, it's a back and forth. Defense is showing out on both teams uh, to the point where, you know, we had a special teams play early in the fourth quarter. On a punt, Deontay Hardy runs it back 96 yards, tying the game up for Buffalo, and it was a you know, crazy game from there because you had a punt return touchdown uh, in Miami. Then Dawson Knox, a few minutes later, when Buffalo gets the ball back again on offense, he finds the end zone. That's the final score with 7-16 to go. And, again, the game goes back and forth. Like, there's a chance – there was a time where – I thought they were uh, the Dolphins were short of a first down, and they called it a first down. There's another time I thought Buffalo had got the first down, but they ruled that uh, they were just shy of the first down marker. But uh, two on the final drive throws an interception to Taylor Rapp. He ends the game there, and Buffalo escapes Miami with a 21 to 14 victory over the Dolphins. Buffalo comes all the way back from a 6-6 six six at one point of the season. They win their last five games. They finish 11-6, and six, and they go all the way to the two seed, winning the division once again for the fourth straight season. All right, Dalton, what was your game of the week for week 18 of the NFL season? So I was going a little bit back and forth with this one, but I feel like, you know, this one, this one will, this one will hit – just right, and uh, I'm gonna go with the New Orleans Saints, <laughs> the 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 Saints and Falcons game. I mean, this is <laughs> 48 to 17, 48 to 17, and a uh, pay per view almost fight after the game was over. Um, Got to be game of the week. I mean, this was fantastic. Um, Derek Carr had arguably his best season, his best game. Um, four touchdowns, six incompletions. Um, Kendry Miller led the way, 
five yards carry, one touchdown. Jamal Williams had a late touchdown, so kudos to him for having a late touchdown. Um, Bijan Robinson led the way with receiving for the Falcons. Um, odd, but okay, I'm I'm down for it. Um, and then uh, we've got multiple, and I say multiple receivers for the Saints with touchdowns, receiving touchdowns. Rashid Shahid, Chris Olave, and uh, Perry had two. Perry had two for himself. Um, and then Chris Olave had one. Shahid, obviously. Um, and then the fumbles, man. The fumbles. Derek Carr had a fumble. Lynn Bowden had a fumble. Um, Desmond Ritter had a fumble. Lost. Uh, James Hurst recovered a fumble. Juwan Johnson recovered a fumble. Peyton Turner recovered a fumble. Um, the fumble. They were flying high today, um, and not and not the fumble Rusi like, with a with a good connotation, the one with a bad connotation. Two interceptions for for Desmond Ritter. Um, Tyron Matthew had one, um, and then Alante uh, Taylor had another one. Um, this game was high flying Enola. I mean, high flying Enola. Um, really good stuff. Like to see it. Well, don't like to see it if you're a Falcons fan, but. I think if you're a Saints fan, you ended it off on the right note. I mean, you finished nine and eight, five and three at home, and looking forward to next year. I feel like if this team didn't have such mm, head scratching games, uh, they could have been a playoff team. I mean, they could have been, but they're not, and that's that stinks for them. But they will, um, and they'll they'll be they'll be competitive next year, and you know, hopefully, actually win the division. Um, of course, sadly, because Tampa law or Tampa won nine to zero against the Carolina Panthers, you know the Saints will never, never get that division title. So, you know, stinks for them. But they they put on quite a showing in the uh, last week of the season. That was my game of the week. All right, thank you, Dalton, for that. On to player of the week. Uh, I'm gonna go with Derek Henry. 19 carries, 153 yards, and a rushing. Touchdown in the Titans upset win over the Jacksonville Jaguars, which uh, I'll get on the soapbox real quick on this one. I had been pointing out for a few weeks now, the Jacksonville slide that how the parallels with last year and this year with last year, Jacksonville sucking to start the year, then coming on hot late this year, the inverse where you start off strong. If you're Jacksonville like a month ago, back or back before December 1st, we're like, okay, Jaguars, they lead the division. It's their division to lose. And I mentioned real quick, like, oh, Houston, they may have a chance to uh, win the division, at least in the near future, if not this year and still it. And Jaguars just collapsed. Like, I picked the Titans last week to win it, and they did. And Derrick Henry was responsible for that win. Because, um, you know, his touchdown, it came in the second quarter to put the Jaguars, or the Titans, excuse me, up 14-10. to 10, And that put them in the front for good, because it was 10-7 before then. Jaguars never let again after that. And, you know, Derrick Henry addressed the crowd afterwards in what potentially was his final game with the Tennessee Titans. It appears, you know, him and Rand Carthorne, who we, you know, talked earlier on the show, we don't think is very competent at his job uh, necessarily compared to like Mike Vrabel. Uh, it appears they may have come to some kind of understanding that this is going to be the last year and they're going to look to part ways after this contract expires after this season. Um, maybe they make an effort. In Francie to try to bring him back. 
I really want to see Derrick Henry go to a team that's contending that he believes he can, can you know, win a ring with. Um, because that's what, you know, it's what running back like him deserves at this point in their career. They've already got the yardage. Uh, you know, he ran for 2,000 yards not too long ago. Um, all that he needs is a postseason ring and, like, more postseason experience. Because, like I said, they made the one, they made the playoffs, made it to the conference title game, and they got the one seed another year. So, like, he's had success in his career. But, you know, go somewhere where you're not, you know, getting the bulk of the carries. You can be kind of like a third down back or whatever. And, you know, have a good career elsewhere and hopefully finish with a ring or two. Like, kind of like LaShawn McCoy, you know, had all those years where he was the bell cow back in multiple places. Then wins two Super Bowls without playing a single snap in the Super Bowl just because he was on a roster. Um, but Derrick Henry, you know, he's still got something left in the tank as he showed this past Sunday in their upset win over Jacksonville. Uh, Dolan, who was your player of the week for Week 18? Thanks, Spence. You know, I, again, look, there was there were some pretty good options for this week. Um, I'm gonna have to go. I'm gonna have to go with Jordan Love here. I'm gonna give him his flowers. And last week, I know they played the Bears, Packers on the Bears, yada yada yada, whatever. Man, man was playing pretty well. I mean, it was um, the winning in scenario. You got to do it. I mean, you got it's it's put up or shut up time. You know, you guys heard you guys have heard me say that before. And um, Jordan Love put up. I mean, he did. He put up. And he did what he had to do. You got to go in there. You got to be a division opponent. And you're in the playoffs. And he did it. And, you know, man threw 30-plus touchdown passes this season. Yeah. That's got to stand for something. You know, he was he led his team to a 9-8 and record. Christian said, youngest team in the league. Youngest team in the league. And you're in. And... You know the Bears, they 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 gave it their all, and the Packers just they just pulled it out. So that's you know something that cannot be unnoticed was this game right here, and specifically Jordan Love's performance. He had to do what he had to do. He had to go in there and take care of business. And that's what he did. All right, Christian, who was your player of the week for the final week of the regular season? So, I'm going to give this to the player, um, and I don't think he deserves it based on his statistical performance, but the way he's kind of carried this team into the playoffs and getting this team into the playoffs, it wasn't really his doing, but he really did help the team do it. Uh, I'm going to give it to Mason Rudolph. Uh, They played the Baltimore Ravens, and yes, it was a team that did not play a ton of their starters. It was an absolute heavy-ass storm. Uh, in Baltimore, and so the weather was not good at all. But Pittsburgh, they had to win this game to have a shot at going into the playoffs uh, for this season. And this team offensively is an absolute joke. I don't know what this team is going to do at the quarterback spot, who they're going who their offensive coordinator is going to be, if they are going to move off of Mike Tomlin. We've seen stupider Tennessee. So – it's going to be, you know, who knows what Pittsburgh may do because of how, you know, they stumbled into uh, this playoff position, you know, this season. But, you know, Mason Rudolph, 18 of 20 for 150 yards, one touchdown. And the one touchdown was a 70-yard bomb to Deontay Johnson. And that was really the final uh, nail in the coffin for Baltimore. Obviously, Baltimore is fun right now. They're number one seed. 
They're resting. They're going to be like all of us sitting on the couch, eating some popcorn, watching uh, the, the wild card weekend. But Pittsburgh is lucky to get into the playoffs. And because of these last couple of weeks, because Kenny Pickett's been hurt, you know, they've had, uh, you know, Mason Rudolph having a good win against the Cincinnati Bengals at home, beating the Seattle Seahawks in a very close matchup, beating Baltimore. Mason Rudolph has done his 3-0 since his return in Pittsburgh, getting them into a prime position for the postseason. And because of Jacksonville's loss, they are into the playoffs. They're going to play the Buffalo Bills, which we will talk about later on. But Mason Rudolph, my player of the week, for getting Pittsburgh into the playoffs for this playoff season. All right. Thank you for that. Most impressive team of week 18, starting with Dalton. Dalton, who was your most impressive team this past weekend? I'm not going to go with the Saints again. Um, can't do that. But, you know, I think, you know, for the Bills to do what they did, and I think we were all watching that game. What in the world, man? I mean, what in the world? I didn't even know what I was watching for the first quarter. First two quarters, even. Like, what, you know, what, what is going on right now? You know, Josh Allen just throwing balls wherever. Um, I, I, I mean, I got to give it to the Buffalo Bills. I mean, you play like crap for, you know, a first quarter and a half, almost two quarters, and then, you know, score 14 points in the fourth quarter, you know, you mentioned you mentioned Hardy running it back. I mean, how clutch was that? I mean, I mean seriously. And for Miami, like, what are you doing? I mean, you got the home field advantage. You got to, you got to pull this thing out. But no, Bills, Bills won the division with this win, and that was impressive. That was impressive because they were able to do it in Miami. They were able to do it after playing bad for you know, almost 30 minutes. And that's something, you know, that they're going to take with them. Like, they they, they, they found a way to win. They, 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 they just did. They, they, they found a way to win. And don't look now, but, you know, the Buffalo Bills are, you know, they're one of the hottest teams as well going into this playoffs here. They could do some real damage. Um, but you know, when they're on, they're on. Um, and, uh, yeah, they were, they were definitely my most impressive from this past week. All right, Christian, who was your most impressive team this past weekend? Um, shocking because of how I talked about, uh, Baltimore with, uh, their backups going into this game. I'm going to give mine to the Dallas Cowboys. Now, a lot of teams who even are going to play this weekend, they rested a lot of their guys. A lot of quarterbacks were rested, top players uh, that were detrimental to this team. But Mike McCarthy in Dallas, I'll give them credit, they kept their guys in. Now, it's the Washington Commanders. Like, well, I've already talked about, the team was bad. Ron Rivera kind of knew he was going to get outed and lose his uh, job, you know, pr- pretty much the next day or the day after, which he did lose on Monday. But Dallas – Playing with CeeDee Lamb, Dak Prescott, and their top starters going up against Washington, surprising 
that they started their guys. Now, obviously, it'd be for the NFC East title to get a home game. So there's a little bit more on the line. But, you know, credit to them and, you know, handling business to get at least a playoff game uh, in the playoffs. It's absolutely huge. And they've been an absolutely tremendous team, undefeated uh, at home this year, going up against Green Bay Packers. And, you know, if they just, if they do win against Green Bay, they're going to have another home game against whoever that opponent shall be. So, you know, they, they set up a good position where they're going to be at home for at least another week, maybe two. And being the Commanders and Washington, you know, it was a pretty big win. So they are my most impressive team. All right. For me, I'm going to go Detroit Lions because they – I mean, they had seating a little bit to play for, and also not really. Uh, they could have melted in, you know, rest of their starters. And I thought there was a chance maybe uh, they would have played the guys for like a half and then like saw where the game was going. And it was 13 to 6 at halftime that maybe you see the backups come in for the rest of the game. Um, but, you know, Dan Campbell was playing to win the game, he's not going to play and settle uh, for anything. He's not playing for mediocrity. The name of the game was to win a game, and, and he did it. They won 30-20 to 20 against Minnesota, a division rival. Uh, Nick Mullins did look good on the other side of the ball, 396 yards and two touchdowns, but did throw two picks. Jared Goff has two touchdown passes. And the dynamic duo of Montgomery and Gibbs, uh, combining for 70 yards, they each got a touchdown themselves. Uh, Amon Ross St. Brown had his 70-yard touchdown reception where he just – Makes everyone look foolish. Had 144 yards total on the day. Uh, I would be remiss, and I'm sure we will uh, elaborate more on this when we talk about the Detroit Lions playoff game. But star rookie Sam Laporta suffered a knee injury um, that is going to basically sideline him for probably the rest of the playoffs. Um, if they were to advance to the Super Bowl, uh, does not appear he's he's not going to play next week against the Rams. Does not appear he'd be back at all this postseason, which is a huge bummer for Detroit team that we've all wanted to see succeed uh, at various points this year. But nonetheless, Detroit, my most impressive team this past weekend. To least impressive we go, Christian, start us off here. Who's your least impressive for the final regular season week? Uh, it's not a shock, but Jacksonville. Obviously, you know, Going into this game, it's winning in. You win the AFC South back-to-back years. Um, I think this – I think the reason they're most – they're least impressive, excuse me, is because of how they've handled Trevor Lawrence, how they handled uh, each game going into it. They were super confident. Jacksonville was super confident going into this final stretch in December. Uh, so confident, we're on the 12th of December. They decided to uh, put their uh, postseason playoff tickets on sale. They were uh, given to the public, even though they were not a given playoff spot. They decided to put playoff tickets uh, to their uh, season ticket holders and to the general public uh, for when they didn't make the playoffs. And how they handle Trevor Lawrence. Here's what I mean by that. Trevor gets hurt on the Monday Night Football game against the Cincinnati Bengals. High ankle sprain. Uh, instead of getting your 
uh, cart out for your franchise quarterback. You decided to uh, barely help Trevor Lawrence uh, put a lot of put a lot of weight on the ankle that Trevor hurt, and then you go up against the Cleveland Browns in Cleveland. You decide to play Trevor Lawrence to keep his streak of playing every high school, college, and pro football game streak alive. You decide to put that streak alive, put selfish interest on the hold, and go up against Cleveland, who is a very good defense. Very good. Miles Garrett is the scariest guy on the planet. So Darius Smith is also playing at a high level. Like, why the heck are you trying to play Trevor Lawrence, your franchise guy, if you are so confident you're going to be in the playoff spot, let him daggum rest. C.J. Brathard almost had a, touch, a touchdown-winning drive for your team. Trust in him. If y'all lose, okay. You got to go up against the best team in Baltimore. And that's going to be a game itself where that could turn the tide now. Jacksonville Jaguars losing two games straight. Going up against the Baltimore Ravens, possibly sending a message. Hey, that's a game that you kind of want to win. So I would understand if you want to play Trevor Lawrence in that aspect. And Trevor was just not really that great. He was 25-43 for 260 yards. Could Nobody could catch a pass uh, in Jacksonville. They couldn't run the ball at all. They put up a terrible showing, 23-7. to after your defense puts out that kind of performance, stopping Baltimore, and we know how good Baltimore does, and put up a lackluster performance, it wasn't very good. And then the very next week, you know, concussion protocol for Trevor Lawrence, he had to go out of the game after playing terribly, one tu- uh, one touchdown, two picks, and you guys laid, pretty much laid an egg taking on the Buccaneers. You blow it, you know, shut out the Panthers. Good for you. Next week, you got the Tennessee Titans, and then Tennessee, they're, they're not playing for anything. And you're going to Tennessee playing like that? Come on, man. Are you serious? Jacksonville had every chance to seal the division, to win this division, to make sure and put their name on the map and get into the playoffs. And the fact that they mishandled Trevor Lawrence's injury how they misjudged pretty much every team in this late run. They had opportunity after opportunity to win the AFC South. They had a 92% chance of making the playoffs when they were the number two seed going into Monday Night Football. And the fact that they were that bad, where you lose, will you seriously win one game of the next of your final six? That is an absolute embarrassment, not just on Peterson, not just on Trevor, but pretty much the entire team. Just pretty much saying, hey, we know we're going to make the playoffs, so we don't need to be as aggressive taking on these teams. And the Trevor Lawrence has been banged up all this year and mishandling that, putting his own little streak on, you know, just making sure his little streak of playing every game since he was a high school freshman you know, not on the line, instead of protecting your top asset in, in Jacksonville, to me, that's just not what a good organization will do. They were not focused on the bigger picture. They were just kind of letting it, you know, letting the season go by. They absolutely deserve missing the playoffs. They are my least impressive team. Yeah, I don't disagree with anything you just said there. 
um, at all. You were spot on with your analysis. For me, it's the uh, Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, I mentioned, you know, game of the week was Buffalo. Uh, who would have thought, and I mentioned this to our co-hosts here, that when the, uh, the Bills and the Eagles took place uh, back late November, and the Eagles won in overtime when Jalen Hurts ran it in 12 yards out, 37-34. The Bills were 6-6. Six and six, The Eagles were 10-1. and one. Who would have thought that they, uh, the roles would be reversed and the Eagles would only win one more regular season game? Bills would never lose again after that fact. And here we are entering the playoffs where the Eagles, you know, they're pretty cold and the Bills are really hot. Because uh, the Eagles proceed to lose three straight games, including, uh, you know, getting drubbed by the Niners and the uh, the Cowboys, who have the top two seeds in the AFC. Your one wins against the Giants, congrats. But you lose to the Cardinals, and you lose to the Giants again in a rematch of a game. You, like, you, like I said, you won that. Um, and again, I get A.J. Brown got hurt, which sucks. Um, but you know who else got hurt? Tyrod Taylor got hurt. How to be DeVito had to come in in relief for that. And Harris got hurt as well. Um, and Marcus Mayer had to play the second half because, like, okay, halftime, they're getting blasted 24 nothing. They're going to come back. They're already a playoff team. And it's like, okay, screw it. Like, Dallas wins the division. Cool. Like, they kind of melted in the second half. And again, I don't blend it with how they were getting injured uh, left and right in the first half of that game. But the Eagles, you score 10 points in this game against this awful New York Giants team. And you have a playoff game against Tampa Bay that your favorite him is, I mean, you should win it. But the way you've been playing, I don't even know if I'll pick you. And I'll tell you who I pick in a bit. But I'm, like, debating that game because the game's a lot closer than I th- it probably should have been given how both teams are playing because I can't trust this Eagles team just the way they've been playing because you have looked awful since you beat a Bills team that was also miserable at that time. Uh, but the Eagles, my least impressive team, they've been on a slump since that uh, 10 and one start. Dawn, who was your least impressive team this past weekend? Uh, look, I think I think my least impressive is gonna have to go Tampa Bay, and I I I didn't I didn't want to do it, but guys, they won nine to zero, and look, I I know I know Carolina has had some close games this year, but that that, that to wait to win like that. It, like I, 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 I'm speechless. Like the Tampa Bay should have completely, completely obliterated them. And look, I'm not saying that they didn't deserve the NFC South because you did. You won the game. That's what matters. You win by whether it's one or a hundred. All I'm saying is to win in that fashion is kind of meh, like kind of unimpressive. Like shut them out, sure, but. I mean, Baker, Chris Godwin, Mike Evans. Mike Evans is having a career year. The man is on a streak of a thousand yard seasons. And you only put up nine points. That's it. Like I was expecting, fully expecting. I was expecting fireworks. And uh, we just got the complete we just got the the uh, complete opposite. So it was great that you won the NFC South. You're in the playoffs. That's awesome. Two positives there. But this past week was just not impressive. 
All right. Thank you, Dalton, for that. And next up, we go to biggest surprise. And for me, I'm going to look big picture, biggest surprise of the entire season. And that is the fact that the NFC North this year, everybody finished above, or AFC North, excuse me, everybody finished above 500. The first time since the 1935 NFL Western Division. Um, and again, I'm looking this up because I want to see it. Like, again, it was before the merger. This NFL Western Division, listen to the teams here. You got Detroit Lions, the Green Bay Packers, Chicago Cardinals, and Chicago Bears. So, yeah, I think West, those are definitely some of the Western states because the league was the Eastern Coast, like East side of the U.S. League. Uh, and, like, that was a 12-game schedule, and you had the two bottom teams, both Chicago teams, were 6-4-2. and two. So, you had a, you know, you were above 500 there. But this time around, you know, the AFC North, Cleveland 11 and 6, Pittsburgh 10 and 7, Cincinnati 9 8, while Baltimore's 13 and 4 in first place. So Cincinnati, like they could have, you know, been tied. It was 8 8 1 uh, if they want to do that. But they end up winning to go 9 8. So they, even though the Bengals missed the playoffs because of, uh, you know, Pittsburgh ended up finishing really strong and whatnot, there's nothing to hang your hat on if you're uh, Cincinnati. You were above 500 and your quarterback got injured probably through the season. Like, they're going to be back next year. I have no doubt the Bengals will be in the playoffs next year. This is, like, my one prediction for next year. Bengals are going to be back. Uh, you can write that down if you want to. Uh, but, yeah, that's all my biggest surprise, just that whole division, that we thought was going to be a competitive division anyway. Uh, it's something we've literally never seen in our lifetime, a whole division finishing above 500. Dalton, what is your biggest surprise you want to do the week, the whole season, uh, take it however you want. Okay. Um, my biggest surprise is that Justin Jefferson finished with a thousand yards this season, and the man missed almost half. Okay, the man did not play a lot of games, and he still finished with a thousand yards in quarterback carousel over there in Minnesota. A carousel. You never know who's gonna be the quarterback. And Jefferson did it. I mean, this man is – he is their piece for the future, and I think you got to build – You this might be the first time where you actually build around the wide receiver. Like, you, you, like Jefferson is their centerpiece. Uh, Kirk's going to come back this year. I fully expect it. I fully expect him to be healthy next year. Minnesota could be good. Um, Jordan Addison, Jefferson, Cousins – if they can get a good running back this year or even just, you know, add some depth, I think Brian Flores is calling a good game, calling good games for the Vikings given what they have currently. Minnesota could be good, and Jefferson is going to be back back in the running for the receiving crown next year, um, assuming that he's fully healthy. But, yeah, he was that, – that, I mean, that was my biggest surprise because he missed those games, the quarterback uncertainty – and the man still produced. So, you know, he's done a terrific job. That was my biggest surprise for this week. And then, you know, just kind of shocked that, you know, Tampa Bay, led by Baker, was able to make the playoffs. That was another one for me. Um, uh, and uh, the Eagles falling off the wagon. But 
Those are just a few surprises. All right, Christian, what was your biggest surprise whether it's this week, the whole season, however you want to take it? I would have had all of the AFC division winners if Jacksonville Teachers handled their shit. I freaking predicted every single freaking team to win their division. I picked Baltimore, which was a shock because Cincinnati was Brian high. I believed in Lamar Jackson. I believed in Harbaugh. Get in the one seat. I got that right. I, yeah, I'm wrong on the Bills and Chiefs. Swift swap them in the seating because, like, but still, I got the AFC East right, barely, because it had to be Miami to do it. I got the Kansas City right, even though there's seriously, there's wide receivers on the roster, but they're not good wide receivers on the roster. You can honestly just, you know, kind of like a Dalton kind of little rant. Seriously, they don't, they are terrible wide receivers. Don't even consider them wide receivers. Just consider them pass catchers for the moment because half of the guys aren't going to play next year on whatever team they're going to be on. And then you have in the AFC South, I had it, Jacksonville. If you could just handle the stuff right, I would have had every single AFC division right. Hey, I could have had both divisions right, right? I picked um, I picked Philadelphia to win the division. That was so close, but hey, I'll take it, right? I mean, I you know the four. I got the 49ers to win the West. I got the Lions to win the Dagum North. Carolina was a shit show. Don't know why I chose them. I chose I trusted Frank Reich and freaking Bryce Young over <laughs> barely getting by Baker Mayfield in Tampa Bay. But I mean, I was so close. I had six. I had six. I'll uh, consider five. I had five of the division winners. I could have had six in all the AFC, but no. Jacksonville had to be an absolute, you know, crapshoot, and I had to miss out on that. So that's my biggest surprise. Is I was decently right on a lot of the playoff teams this year. I think I got fourteen, maybe. I think that's how the list was. I got fourteen of the. Uh, 16 teams right, at least, uh, or something along wanting that. So I'm, I'm pretty impressed with myself that I was that impressive picking uh, the you know the winning teams and their divisions and the uh, playoff team, in the wildcard teams. All right, so that concludes our regular season recap. Uh, shifting gears to the wildcard weekend, our preview of these games it's gonna be a very fun wild card game we're starting with the uh the four o'clock window has to include the houston texans if they're in the playoffs 4 30 this one on nbc this game is on cable you can watch it that way the browns in the and if you told me these two teams would be playoff teams uh i would have been like okay that's uh kind of funny like uh because preseason, my thinking was Cleveland, like we saw Deshaun Watson last year. He wasn't very good. Uh, but Deshaun got injured, and they've been better since the injury. Uh, Joe Flacco, if you had told me he'd be starting a playoff game, I was like, okay, who got hurt? Like, how do you, like, he just, he found a job somewhere, and then the starter got hurt, so he had to come in, which is not wrong here. But the fact that he's been lighting it up, even though he is very turnover prone, he is taking on a Houston, Texas team, um, you know, it's a sh- I, I'm not even going to say it's a shame that Deshaun's not playing because I do, don't care for him one bit. But uh, the two teams involved in the Deshaun Watson trade 
are going head to head in Houston with the, you know, first year head coach, D'Amico Ryans, first year quarterback, CJ Stroud, Bobby Slowick calling the plays of the office. You got Nico Collins, who's looking really good. I wish Tank Dell was not hurt uh, because he was fun. Singletary, he's been really fun to watch. Jerome Ford for Cleveland, he's been really fun to watch. And I, I want to love this. I love this Texas team so much. The stuff they've had to overcome. Like they were the third place team technically in the division last week because of the tiebreakers. Uh, they beat Indianapolis. They Jacksonville loses. They take the division, which I have been kind of on for a month or two now. Is that I said, watch out this Texas team. They may win the division. Um, at least next year they should be the favorites. But they somehow snuck in and took it a year early. In Cleveland, years in the division with a buzzsaw Baltimore team. That being said. I think the injuries are catching up to Houston. And uh, I'm going to lean on Stefanski. He's been in the playoffs before. Although the one time they won when he was in the playoffs, he couldn't actually coach that game because he was sidelined with COVID. Uh, but he's still, nonetheless, he's second time in the playoffs in his career. And I think the big stage for CJ, even though he's been in the, you know, the college football playoff, we saw a year ago where he took Georgia to the very end. Uh, their kicker lost it for them. I think I'm leaning Cleveland right now. I think Flacco, back in the postseason again, even though he bombed with the Jets and other franchises, Denver, et cetera, I think this Cleveland team, they're on a mission. And, like, they're this wide-out-us mentality. Uh, and Amari Cooper, like, he had a couple, great game a couple weeks ago. I think he's in for a great game again. Miles Garrett, currently questionable. We'll see what happens there. Uh, but I, I do like this Cleveland team. But this is probably the hardest game, in my opinion, to pick this weekend. Uh, so give me the Browns here. Dawn, what is your thoughts on the game? Who do you see winning this game? Yeah, dude, my thoughts are going to be short and sweet. I, I, the, the, This this could very well be one of the better wildcard weekend um, games. Um, little tidbit, though. Last time these two teams played, late December, it was in Houston. It was the uh, Cooper 11 reception 265 game. And Cleveland ended up winning that game. Uh, could Houston get the revenge? We'll see. But I think, you know, Texans, uh, D'Amico Ryans coming from San Francisco over. I mean, he's bringing that San Francisco mentality over to Houston. It's completely changed their franchise. Completely. Say what you want. It's completely changed their franchise. Um, and Houston is is um, capable now. Like, they used to be, they used to be completely, completely inept. Um, we used to we used to have Houston at the butt of our jokes, and now D'Amico, CJ Stroud, they have turned the franchise around together. Um, the culture is shifted, and they've done a, they've done an outstanding job this year, which is which is like the reason why they're candidates for Coach of the Year and offensive and um, excuse me, Coach of the Year and um, Offensive Rookie of the Year. Um, so. Yeah, I think this game's going to be really, really good. Uh, Cooper Shelley, uh, we'll see if Garrett plays, but uh, I think, you know, this is this is going to be a really, really nice game. Um, I was going back and forth, but I think that I'm going to go Cleveland. I think I'm going to go Cleveland as well, um, but I do believe that Houston covers the spread. All right, thank you, uh, Dolan, for that. Also, I do want to mention before we throw to Christian, in that win – uh, Davis Mills was starting quarterback uh, that day. That's true. Uh, in case Keenan also got some reps in as well. 
Um, so CJ did not play in that loss. Doesn't so again, we'll see if it makes a difference because, like you said, Amari had that huge game there as well. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but anyway, Christian, your thoughts on the first wild card game, the 430 NBC game between uh, the Texans and the Browns? This is going to be a very good game. Uh, Cleveland and you know, Houston absolutely deserve getting into this playoff spot. Uh, both coach of the year candidates, obviously. Uh, what Stefanski has done to have four starting quarterbacks, actually five considerably, with Jeff Driscoll in week 18. Do we really count that? Kind of. Um, yeah, we're counting it. Okay. So, with five, <laughs> with five different starting quarterbacks throughout your uh, season this year, get into the playoffs in the 10-plus win season, that is very impressive itself. And D'Amico Ryan's obviously, you know, Houston was projected to be a top-five pick again. Uh, no one thought he and C.J. Stroud would be as good as they were. Uh, very competitive off to the races. And they won the AFC South. So both coaches deserve a ton of credit. Uh, both deserve the Coach of the Year award. Uh, whoever it goes to, they absolutely both deserve it. But, you know, in this game, you're talking about guys who have been in the playoffs before. You know, this is a young roster in Houston, both in the coaching world and in uh, the playing. Stefanski has done this before. Yes, he was out because of COVID. But majority of his guys in Cleveland that year, they were – they've been in the playoffs before. They know the situation. They I think they were on the road as well. Uh, so Cleveland can absolutely make some noise if they absolutely have to. Then you have uh, the Houston Texans. They're the offensive coordinator who's been getting a lot of praise recently. This is his first year being the OC. D'Amico being the first year as a head coach. CJ Stroud being in the NFL. You know, Nico Collins is in his first rodeo, but it's first year being in the playoffs. You got Will Anderson, who's kind of kind of been injured. A lot of their linebackers have been hurt in Houston. Uh, there's a lot of depth that's missing right now over there. So, you know, with Houston, they are injury riddled, and you know they sometimes overcome it, and they sometimes haven't. C.J. Stroud, he was out in that game against Cleveland with concussion protocol, and they, you know, they were definitely hurting, you know, losing Case Keenum. But when you're taking on, you know, Miles Garrett, even though he's questionable, Miles Garrett is going to at least try. He's going to try and get to get into this game. This is a one-and-done scenario. You don't have next week for sure. And Miles Garrett, he knows his team is a very tough team. This is the only wild-card team, in my opinion, that can actually have a shot at making a full run. They had a really good time, but they had to play Baltimore. And they've beaten Baltimore in Baltimore. So this Cleveland Browns team is a very good team. Joe Flacco has won a Super Bowl. He is beyond his prime years. But he can definitely make some noise, especially recently, and do what he has to do for this team. And the Browns, like I just mentioned about the Texans being injured, they lost Nick Chubb, like second, third game in the daggum season on Monday Night Football against Pittsburgh. And we all thought, oh, well, the running game's crap now. Because do you trust, you know, Bill Cosby, excuse me, Deshaun Watson at quarterback? I don't know if he can. So with the Cleveland Browns, They've been, you know, hurt a ton. They've been, you know, down and out. Where everyone says, like, oh, Cleveland season is absolutely done. You got people on ESPN saying their season is done, and they're in the wild card playoffs. You have people saying Fox Sports that there's no way this Cleveland football team 
can get into the playoffs, and they are. And they could actually win a playoff game against the Houston Texans. And I'm going to pick them. I'm going to pick the Cleveland Browns to beat the Houston Texans. If Houston wins, by golly, you, you make that you make the Miko Ryans coach of the year. You make C.J. Stroud rookie of the year. Dalton, I know you love Puka, but in the, in the big playoff game when you are the quarterback, you know, quarterback is king in the NFL. You have to have a good one to be consistent in this league. The New York Jets have a tremendous 52-man roster. That quarterback situation is terrible because Aaron Rodgers got hurt four plays into the season. So, and obviously, if they're in the play, if Aaron Rodgers plays, they can get into the playoffs. They may even may even win that division or get a wild card spot. I would have been right if I chose, if I knew that you know Aaron Rodgers wouldn't play for four daggum plays. But I mean, CJ Stroud and D'Amico Ryan's absolutely deserve this win if they get it done. I just think that you know playoff experience matters. The Browns have it. The the Texans do not right now. So I have to trust with the Cleveland Browns. All right, so we're all three going Cleveland on that one. The next game, the Peacock exclusive game on the NBC streaming service. If you do not have it, uh, make plans to you know either do a free trial or uh, buy it's up to you. I'm not going to tell you what to do, how to spend your money there. But if you do want to watch Dolphins Chiefs, that is the way to go is Peacock which I think is a genius move by the NFL. Uh, not necessarily putting it behind a paywall, but to put Kansas City on it when they knew they were doing this because of uh, we all know who uh, Travis Kelsey is dating, and we all know that her fans would love to see her, even if it's two seconds, so they may shell out some money just for the chance to see her on a, uh, a football playoff game. But nonetheless, the game at hand, the Dolphins and the Chiefs, and I, I feel for the Dolphins because you were, if you had won, you would have been playing in sunny Miami, Miami Gardens, Florida, uh, in front of like 70 degrees. Instead, you're going to Kansas City, where it's supposed to be negative one at game time. And even lower, try the windshield factor in there. Not to mention, you know, Waddle and uh, Mostert did not play on Sunday night. They were nursing injury. I fully expect them to give it a go in the playoffs here. Tyreek and A-Chain, they're banged up, but they played last week. Fully expect them to give it a go. The problem is the defense for Miami is really banged up. Jerome Baker hurt. Van Ginkle hurt. Jalen Phillips, we all know the story. He's hurt. Bradley Chubb out for the season. Um, I'm sure I'm missing a handful of guys, but they have a lot of guys on Miami's defense that is banged up, that will not play. And like I want to believe in Miami. Like I, if they would have been at home. I don't know if I picked them because Buffalo the rematch um, and how that was going. Like they would, if they were at home, they had a lot better chance to make a run. Because I don't believe in Kansas City. I think the receiving core sucks. But Pacheco is great. Kelsey is great. Um, but the guys who are classified as a wide receiver, you know, Justin Ross, Kadarius Tony, Rasheed Rice is really good. Um, but Tony sucks. Uh, we've seen that time and time again this year. Um, but that being said, like the injuries to the defense and playing in cold weather, um, it, I'm favoring Kansas City. And I, I really wish I wasn't. Like, this was the year I was like, oh, maybe Kansas City, you know, they're not going to make it to the conference title game again. But I, I think they're at least going to beat the Dolphins because um, the way, just the way things are going with uh, 
the Dolphins is trending downwards. And I, I get I hate it for Miami. But that's just that, you know, because last year, Skylar Thompson had to start the playoff game for the Dolphins when they took on Buffalo in the 2-7 game. And, you know, he actually held his own. They almost upset the Bills. Um, so at least we get to see Tua in the playoffs for once. And I think their offense, depending on, like, if they can get the ball moving, like, the running game is solid for Miami. That if they can rely on the running game, I think they pull the upset off there. I just think they're going to have to pass because I think Kansas City will find a big lead uh, and force Miami to pass. And I think that could be the detriment. Uh, but Tyreek, you know, he played in Kansas City for a while. Like, he's, he's returning back to Kansas City to take on his former club after playing in Germany earlier this year. Um, so he's finally going to see the, what the reception is for the fans. I think, you know, he'll get a warm welcome. But once the game starts, they're going to boo him. But Chiefs, that's my pick to win this game. Dawn, what are you looking forward to in Tyreek's return to Kansas City? And who do you see winning this game? <laughs> what I look forward to is probably people running the ball. You know, it's going to be cold. Um, if, you know, if there's if there's even just a little bit of elements, I don't foresee the Dolphins being able to use their aerial attack. Um, that being said, I just believe that Andy Reid's going to find a way. I, I, I read and Mahomes. I feel like that's the key here. Read and Mahomes. You're gonna find a way to win this game. They're at home. Kansas City's gonna be buzzing. They're gonna be going off, dude. And cold weather sucks. If you're a warm weather team and you gotta play in the cold weather, they just, you know, it's it's one thing if you have a quarterback who's made his living in cold weather, a la Tom Brady in Tampa Bay. It is another thing when you have no offense to Tua. Tua played at Bama in college. Warm weather. Goes to Miami. Warm weather. You know, this is... uh, The Kansas City Chiefs have made their living off of home playoff games. Spence, the points you all make, great points. Completely agree. I'm going to go with the Chiefs here. And... It, it, you know, it, it could be – they've had their wide receiver woe this year. Excuse me. They've had their wide receiver woes this year. And that you know, that, that cannot be understated. I mean, they, they've just had awful, awful games where it seems like they – you know, the term wide receiver doesn't exist on their, on their, on their team. Uh, pa- the term pass catcher doesn't even exist. Aside from Rishi Rice and Travis Kelsey, I feel like those two guys, you know, it's going to be fun. Sure. I'm expecting a lot of runs here. I'm expecting a lot of runs. It's going to get cold. And yeah, I'm, I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with Kansas City. I'm going to go with the Chiefs. All right. Christian, what are your thoughts on the Dolphins Chief playoff game? And who do you see coming out victorious? I think it's going to be a very interesting matchup. Obviously, you have two good offensive line in Mike McDaniel and Andy Reid. Uh, you have a emerging uh, star in Tua Tagovailoa, but you already have an established Patrick Mahomes. You have an established Travis Kelsey. You have an established Andy Reid. There are multiple Super Bowl win- uh, Super Bowl winning teams, and this is the team to beat. Honestly, Baltimore is a very good team, and we understand that Lamar has not been. Uh, in you know, available in the playoffs a ton of times uh, throughout his career. Buffalo, I mean, every time they take on Kansas City in the playoffs, they have lost. So, 
you know, it's not a consistent uh, – it's not a team you want to play for if you're going up against the Kansas City Chiefs. And Miami this year, you know, as sad as it is, they are not good against the better team. And what I mean by the better team is just teams that have a winning record. Losing to Buffalo twice, losing to Kansas City, losing to Philadelphia, losing, you know, games that really can show, hey, you're a good team. You put 70, you put up 70 against the Denver Broncos, you don't even make the playoffs. Heck, honestly, you only should have put up seven when you played Kansas City last time in Germany. So, you know, as sad as it is, I love the Mike McDaniel story. I think he's going to be a better coach from this. But I got to go with Kansas City. Patrick Mahomes is just way too daggum good. He's going to make a play when they can't, uh, when no one else can. Travis Kelsey's going to help. Hopefully, Taylor Swift is not in Kansas City in that weather. Uh, like, you know, she cannot stand there with her lover. She has to just sit at home uh, after the terrible Golden Globes uh, fiasco that was this past weekend. You know, just, just chill, man. Just chill. Um, you know, let Kansas City do their thing. You know, you can hang out with Travis as much as you want after February, I think like 13th or something. So, February, you know, once mid-February is in and Super Bowl is over, hang out with Travis Kelsey for the Kansas City fans. But for this week, you know, in the negative one-degree weather, give me the Chiefs. All right. On to Sunday, the first game at – one o'clock CBS, you get the Pittsburgh Steelers who snuck into the playoffs, taking on the Buffalo Bills. Um, and uh, we got the news earlier this week TJ Watt will not be playing uh, this week or the rest of the playoffs for the Steelers. He's injured, uh, which it sucks for uh, TJ because uh, he's been one of the best defensive players in the league the last few years. He may win another defensive player of the year award. We'll see. Uh, in a month or so, but nonetheless, Buffalo—they're—they're they're hot at the right time. Like they're the team that no one wants to play right now. Um, Gabe Davis—he's been really good. I mean, James Cook's been great. Uh, Stephon Diggs—say uh, what you will about him—he's had a fantastic year this year. Um, Josh Allen is turnover prone. Like I think he's still prone to throw a couple interceptions, and the Steelers' defense will make him pay. And normally that would probably be a recipe for a disaster, like a game that would probably favor Pittsburgh. Uh, but Pittsburgh is so bad that Kenny Pickett is still their leading passer. Uh, Mason Rudolph, he's been fine for the team. They've got it going. Najee Harris, he's really good. Jalen Warren, I love watching Jalen Warren play. Uh, but it's Buffalo. Like, I'm not going to sure girl. Like, I think Buffalo, the line is 10. I'm taking that line. I think Buffalo covers uh, pretty easy. I said the same thing last year when they were the two steep. And took on the Dolphins, though. That Dolphins team that was banged up with the quarterback, uh, with like a, the third-string quarterback was playing, the backup quarterback, whatever. That's the same situation with Pittsburgh. Is the starting quarter from the start of the year is not playing this week um, due to injuries and benching and whatnot. Uh, but Buffalo's a better team. And while Pittsburgh, I give them credit because they, you know, they got on a winning streak in the year after having two really awful losses. And a third that was at least, you know, probably – just awful because of the score uh, there. But, you know, you rally back. You beat Cincinnati, even though they're injured. You beat Seattle, who you knocked them out of the playoffs, essentially, with that win. And you beat Baltimore, who, despite the rest of the players, you still beat Baltimore. And uh, they actually were 5-1 and one 
across the AFC North competition. This is not an AFC North opponent. This is AFC East. It's Buffalo. Give me Buffalo. I think they win it. It's not even close. I really don't see this game being that close. Um, and again, if if I'm wrong, I stand corrected. I'll come back on next week and admit I was wrong. I'm not afraid to do that. But I just think Buffalo is a better team. And Pittsburgh, I don't trust them. But I do think they'll get a couple of interceptions nonetheless. Dalton, your thoughts on the Steelers and the Bills game? Yeah, <laughs> look this this is uh, this is not a good matchup. This is not a good. This is not good. Um, not good at all. Um, I feel I feel bad for Steelers fans drawing this first drawing this first team. Uh, but uh, yeah, look, this is um, the Buffalo by ten is a pretty is a pretty large spread and I think most people are going to take it as they should um the weather could we see a buffalo snow game I'm kind of open for it uh it's supposed to snow Thursday fr- uh Friday Saturday maybe a little wind oh actually it's going to be warmer in Buffalo than it will be in Kansas City um when both of the games are played uh but I think I'm going to go Buffalo here I think losing TJ Watt uh was is 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 bad um for for the for the Steelers. I think I think if they would have had TJ Watt then, you know, maybe maybe they could maybe they could make a little bit of noise. Um maybe try to play keep away um uh, and have a and have a little bit of a pass rush. But yeah, I just don't see that happening. Like I I, I just yeah, there's there's a there's a reason that I just stayed away from the spread for this game. Uh, two big points, and I just don't know what I'm gonna get with a Mike Tomlin led Steelers football team, which which is playing with house money at this point. Um, and I have no idea what I'm getting from Buffalo. And yes, I know they've been on a hot streak. They've been in a heater, but I don't know what I'm gonna get. But I I, I don't know if Josh Allen's gonna turn over the ball five times or he's gonna throw for five touchdowns. I don't know. And I, I'm going to take the Bills because they're at home and the Steelers' quarterback situation isn't great. T.J. Watt's not playing. The Bills should win this game by all accounts. But, yeah, those are, those are my thoughts. All right. Christian, what are your thoughts and who do you see winning the Steelers-Bills game? It's it's going to be an absolute crapshoot, I think, um, for both teams, honestly. Just because, yes, Buffalo has had, um, you know, has been on a, you know, huge, uh, you know, streak recently. They're the opposite of the Miami Dolphins. They beat the good teams and they lose to the bad team. Uh, And that's not something you want to have confidence in going forward. And, yes, you beat uh, Miami, but, I mean, Josh Allen was doing his best uh, Brett Favre impression going uh, two interceptions and bad two interceptions. When you have, when you're in inside the 15 yard line five times and you only score once, that is not a good sign for the Buffalo Bills team, honestly. So, with the Buffalo Bills, I mean, do I trust them more than Pittsburgh? I do. I do think Buffalo is going to win this game, and it's not because they're a much better team. It's not because they're more physical. It's not because of a certain player. I think Pittsburgh is just that bad, and they're. They're barely in the playoffs, honestly. They're in the playoffs because Jacksonville sucks. They're in the play, you know, they shouldn't be in the playoffs when they lost to New England and Arizona 
two lost teams at the time, two win teams at the time, and they're absolutely terrible. And it was at Pittsburgh, so it was you know horrible to lose both of those games at the same time. Losing confidence with all the Steeler fans and honestly NFL fans. Uh, the Buffalo Bills are going to win this game. Uh, I don't trust them to cover. You know, even though they're favored by ten points, Buffalo is going to find a way to make this game closer, whether it's by them or by the weather. And if they do win, it's going to be by like three points. It's going to be last second field goal for Buffalo. So give me the Buffalo Bills. All righty. Thank you for that. And Christian, I'm going to go right back to you for the next matchup because it is your Green Bay Packers taking on the Dallas Cowboys. Mike McCarthy taking on his former team. I'll let you lead it. Off, I'll let you go first. Your thoughts on this game? Who do you have coming out on top? Now, this is an interesting story. Of course, you know, the entire wild card weekend is based off of stories. And honestly, I can't believe it about this. So, taking on the Dallas Cowboys, taking on Mike McCarthy, the former head coach of the Green Bay Packers, it's going to be quite a matchup to go up against. We played them last year, and we actually won that game somehow at home. And you know, Mike McCarthy, we did beat him. We, we showed, hey, Green Bay is the better team. But Green Bay, they've had some interesting stats going into this game, and I'm going to share those stats. Number one, since AT&T Stadium has been built, the Green Bay Packers are 5-0 and in that stadium. Not taking on the Dallas Cowboys. They're 4-0 against Dallas. But when, Dallas, when the AT&T Stadium home to the Super Bowl in 2011, when it was the Green Bay Packers and Pittsburgh Steelers, Green Bay won that game in Dallas. So that's a good stat for you going into a stadium where you've won five straight, you know, you've won all the games you've been in. That gives you a little confidence. You know, and the other stat, of course, the Cowboys were perfect, 8-0 and going into uh, this playoff time. 37.4 points a game average in uh, this season at home. Very good for Dallas. Obviously, they only scored 21 against Detroit, but still, 37 points average, you know, playing, you know, your top teams of New York, Washington, and Philly every year, and averaging, thir- you know, 35-plus at home, that's a good stat for Dallas. Awesome. Of course, they are the former, you know, head coach Mike McCarthy taking on the Green Bay Packers, and of course, we are 1-0 and against Mike McCarthy since he has left. And of the last five matchups playing against the Dallas Cowboys, Green Bay is 4-1 and in these matchups. So Green Bay has the historical advantage over the Green Bay Packers. Now, with Green Bay, we still have the issue with Christian Watson. He is going to be questionable for this game, but... How likely is he going to play? Who knows? He was likely to play against the Chicago Bears, yet he still sat out in this game. Jair Alexander is also questionable for this game. Preston Smith is also questionable. Isaiah McDuffie is questionable for this game. But also Dallas is facing some key injuries. Stephon Gilmore is questionable. Tyra Smith, an offensive lineman for them. And Jonathan Hankins who has been a very good defensive lineman for the Dallas Cowboys. So both teams are facing injury. Both teams are coming into this game hoping to revive their season. This is Jordan Love's 
first playoff game being the actual guy. The last time he was on the team, you know, in the playoffs was back a couple of years ago when he was a backup two years ago, backup being to Aaron Rodgers and losing to San Francisco at Lambeau. This is his first time him being the main guy in the playoffs to keep Green Bay season alive. And the Dallas Cowboys, they have been on a roll. They, like I mentioned, they're in my most impressive monologue. I thought they were very impressive starting all their guys, luckily not getting anybody too hurt going into this game. And Dak has been super hot. CeeDee Lamb has been seriously the best wide receiver along with Tyreek Hill. I think CeeDee's had a better season, but people say Tyreek has because of how far he came up in receiving yards, even though he missed several games aiming for the 2,000 uh, receiving yards mark. Also, Dallas has had a good offensive line, but a banged-up offensive line. Tony Pollard is not consistent at the running game, taking a step back, uh, especially after Ezekiel Elliott you know, is no longer with the team and in New England. But this defense and Micah Parsons has been unbelievable. Yes, Trayvon Diggs, who has been their top corner, uh, he has been out you know, since uh, week two of the season or week three, I think, yeah, week two, because he tore his ACL during a practice before the Arizona game. So their secondary it has been kind of rough, but it's kind of getting back there. The Ron Bland has done a really good job being the number one guy. Him and Jordan Lewis have been really good, and Stephon Gilmore have holding it down for the secondary. Going into this game, you have Dak Prescott and the Dallas Cowboys, who are in the playoffs more consistent than the Green Bay Packers, in the last several years, and Dallas has been riding hot right now. NFC East champions, they are right now playing at their top level, and they don't seem to slow down. Green Bay, yeah, they've won six of their last eight, but the two losses, they came in the games that they shouldn't have lost. At home against Tampa Bay and going on the road against Tommy DeVito in the New York Giants. So in this situation, I do trust the Dallas Cowboys to beat the Green Bay Packers. Am I going to be wearing my Green Bay shorts, Green Bay shirt, maybe even a hoodie because it's going to be four degrees uh, in Louisville, Kentucky at night? That's going to be just atrocious for all of us and Louisvillians. Um, am I going to have a you know a Green Bay hat? Yes. I got a Green Bay Yeti that I'm excited to kick out for this, Dow- this Cowboys game. Cowboys game, that's good for me. Good job, Tone. It's like an 11 o'clock at night for those who are listening. Uh, but taking on the Dallas Cowboys, I'm going to be rooting for my Packers. But I, I, I got to put myself in a win-win situation. Either I'm right in predictions or I'm right with my team going into the divisional round. Again, away because, you know, we're seventh seed. But I got my Dallas Cowboys. I don't know what I'm just saying. My Dallas Cowboys, hell no. I have Dallas beating my Green Bay Packers even though I want my Green Bay Packers to beat Dallas at AT&T Stadium. All right. Thanks, Skip, for that. Um, for me, I'm actually going to go Green Bay. Like, they're playing really hot. And I know since they add the seventh team, no seven seed has beat a two seed. But I, for a while, thought this could be the year that we see a seven over a two. I thought the margin had kind of um, – shrunk a little bit, and we've seen, like, Dallas, you know, first stretch was not beating good teams either. I mean, they beat Philadelphia, sure, 
But there was a time where it's like, oh, can Dallas beat a team that's you know, above five? Like they lost to Miami. Miami's the only team that uh, Dallas is the only team Miami beat that was uh, worth a damn. They have that shocking loss to Arizona early in the year. Got blasted by San Francisco. Um, and yeah, sure, you know they beat up on some really awful teams like the Commanders, the Panthers, the Giants, etc. But, like, really, that Lions game that you kind of got lucky, if I'm being honest, at the very end of it, they've had some rough games, Dallas has. And Green Bay has, too. I think both teams have a lot of faults. But this is my upset pick of the week. I'm going Green Bay. Um, they're gonna, I think they become the first seventh seed to win a playoff game. Um, and they do it because, like you mentioned, they have never lost at AT&T Stadium. Um, now, again, it has to change at some point, you would think. But I think in a one-game scenario, we know how Mike McCarthy is in the playoffs. We've seen the last two years. They blow it. They find a way to blow it. Don't know how he's going to do it this year. Because I don't think Jordan Love is like this great quarterback. I think he's a fine quarterback. He's good. They want, made the playoffs for a reason. Uh, and LaFleur, he's been in the NFC title game before. I like that experience, too. I mean, McCarthy won a Super Bowl, too. So like, But lately, McCarthy has been terrible in the playoffs. So I'm actually going to shock people and go Green Bay here. Dalton, what are your thoughts on this game and who do you see coming out on top? My thoughts on this game uh, are pretty much right in line with both of your roles. I think also, too, like Dallas is just really good at home. Uh, I, I don't know why, but they are. Um, but I do think the Packers, being as hot as they are, they've lost two two games and eight tries and you know that, that I think I think that I think at this point in time it means something it means something to be on a hot streak and you're on a hot streak you're playing with house money right now I am gonna take the Cowboys but I'm gonna take them barely like I I, I don't foresee this being a touchdown win for the Cowboys I'm actually gonna take the Packers to cover um uh, but I, yeah, I think the Cowboys' home field is. I, I, I mean, I don't know. I don't, really don't know how they do it. Um, yeah, I just give me the Cowboys by a smidge, a little smidge. All right, thank you, Dalton, for that. And I'll stick with you, Dalton. Your L.A. Rams taking on the Detroit Lions, a game that I've been wanting to see since I read it was possible a few weeks ago. You have Matthew Stafford returning to Detroit. Jared Goff taking on his former team. No shortage of storylines in this game. Dawn, I'll let you lead things off here on your thoughts on this game. Who do you see coming out on top? Thanks. Uh, so, you know, just a few thoughts. You know, this is, you know, McVay's coming back. He's playing against Goff again. You know, again, the whole storyline thing. Um I think this this has a chance to be fireworks because both secondaries are bad, <laughs> like statistically bad. Um, there is a reason that Vegas has the over under at fifty one. Okay, there's a reason for that. Um, and now, do I think they can get opportune turnovers? Yes, I think both can do that. Um, I think Detroit poses a threat offensively. Um, with both of their running backs, David Montgomery, who's over a thousand yards rushing, uh, or scrimmage yards, whatever, he's been having a great season. And Jameer Gibbs has also been having a great season. Uh, and so both of them are 
just an absolutely insane duo. I, you know, you've, you, I mean, you guys, you guys know me. I've been banging on the table for Amon Ross St. Brown for what two years now. Um, he's coming into his own, uh, and playing his butt off. And so I think you know Detroit's got some weapons on offense. They are they are really good. Uh, there's a reason that they're the three seed. I mean, there 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 there's a reason for that. Um, twelve wins hard to come by. Um, they're gonna be ready. Ford Field's gonna be rocking. It's their first playoff game in thirty years. Now for the Rams side, we're playing with house money. Uh, say what you want, we're playing with house money right now. Okay, nobody thought we were gonna make it to the playoffs. Okay, we we were projected five wins before the season started. We doubled that. Stafford's coming back to Detroit. Vase two and zero against the. Lions, uh, since being hired as the Rams head coach. And McVay also has a winning record on the road in the playoffs. We beat the Saints, the Seahawks, and the Buccaneers uh, during his time in the road because we've had some home games. I think I think this is going to be a good game. I'm, I'm, a, I'm pretty excited for it. I think also Puka Nakua is having the season of his life. Cooper Cubs always dangerous. He's had a little bit of, of an off year this year, but you know, when he's open, he's gonna he's gonna do some damage. And Kyron Williams is third in total touchdowns. You heard that right. Third in total touchdowns behind behind McCaffrey and Mostert. This is yeah, this is this is gonna be this is gonna be really fun. That being said, I'm gonna ride or die with my Rams, baby. I'm gonna. I'm going to take the Rams. I'm gonna take the Rams to win. Um, and did I mention also the Lions are favored as they should be. Home field, home field matters. And for this, they're about a field goal favorite. I'm gonna take the Rams to win. All right, Christian, who do you see uh, winning this Rams Lions game? What's your uh, expectations for this game as well? So, obviously, like Dalton mentioned, the storyline being Stafford going home against Detroit. Um, I saw something. It was kind of stupid. It wasn't actual Detroit Lions media, but it was Detroit media talking about how um, the Lions fans should not bring their Stafford jerseys because they're banned for some odd reason uh, within the fandom. Uh, First off, if you're trying to ban a guy who, A, he didn't decide to leave to the Rams. The Rams traded for him. He did not go into free agency. He's like, I want to go somewhere else. He wanted to be a Detroit Lion for as long as he could, similar to Calvin Johnson, even though the entire organization wasted, wasted Calvin Johnson's uh, entire career, yet they're in the playoffs. And it wasn't until they got into the playoffs that Calvin Johnson even recognized them because this team should be, this team should be in the uh, in the driver's seat and possibly even winning the you know entire NFC. So with that, you know, Ram- the Lions fans should be grateful that uh, they should be grateful that Stafford did as much as he could to make Detroit successful. 
heck, and even into a wild card spot back in uh, back several years ago against the and the Seattle Seahawks lose in a losing effort, but still getting them into the wild card spot. Ran, uh, Lions fans are not used to that. With the Rams, however, they are grateful for Stafford getting them a Super Bowl win back several years ago against Cincinnati, and even though they you know are you know they've been very hot. You know, like I don't mention, not a lot of people expected the Rams to do anything. However, I expect them to do something. I expect them because I I do really believe in uh, postseason experience does matter. Sean McVay has Super Bowl ring. He's made this Rams a you know a successful playoff team in the past. Going to another Super Bowl, you know, losing you know in a losing effort to, uh, you know, losing to New England with Jared Goff, who's on the other sideline. But it's going to be a good matchup. But I do expect the Rams to beat Detroit this weekend. All righty. So, for me, it's, uh, you know, we see how, um, what's his name, Dan Campbell is with play calling. How aggressive is Dan Lan- or uh, Dan Lanning? Gosh, I was reading some stuff about that earlier. Dan Campbell, excuse me. How aggressive is he going to be? In this game, because he knows the storyline, because uh, you know he, he's a good motivator too. And again, Jared Goff knows the situation. The last time they played, it was Campbell's first year, it was Goff's first year or second year, and they were terrible. Uh, that that Lions team was winless at the time, and that Rams team won the Super Bowl. Like they got what they wanted uh, that year when they played head to head. This time around, it's like okay, Jared, like these these guys didn't want you. There's the reason you they cast you off here. Um, I think the Rams are just loaded. Like, I didn't believe it preseason. It's like, oh, like, I get, I admit, when Dalton said Rams, I was like, okay, that's a homer pick. I don't see the Rams being close. I thought the Packers had a good chance of making the playoffs. I didn't pick them, but comparatively, I thought the Packers were a better pick to make the playoffs. Instead, both make it. The Rams, that offense, I just can't get enough of it. Like, Kyra Williams, fantastic runner. Puka and, uh, you know, Cooper Cup, when he decides to, he wants to uh, be a good receiver. Though he, he's great. <laughs> but Lions, like you said, Dalton, it's probably going to be an offensive um, juggernaut versus offensive juggernaut with the points is coming because of Amara St. Brown, David Montgomery, Jameer Gibbs. There's so many weapons on both sides of the ball. But Laporta being out, it says questionable here, but I'm almost positive he's out, like I mentioned earlier, because uh, he just suffered a major injury. Uh, and that's, the, that's what's going to be the killer for Detroit is the no Sam Laporta. I think if he plays, it's closer. Uh, and again, it may be a, it's still probably a one-score game, in my opinion. But the Rams, that's my pick on this one here. Uh, very much all in agreement on most of these picks uh, today for the first round of the playoffs. Let's see how the last game goes. Eagles-Bucks, Monday night football uh, game here. And, you know, the, two years ago, these teams met the playoffs. The Eagles were the seven seed. Tampa Bay was the two seed, and the Eagles team was a you know kind of propelled their run to get to the Super Bowl the next year. Uh, this game, it's I don't know how to make because I think both these teams are trending in the wrong direction. Uh, I don't trust these teams to make a run to the Super Bowl this year. Hell, I probably don't even trust these teams to make a run to the NFC title game this year. Uh, just the way they have played down the stretch. Like, yeah, Tampa is winning games, but, you know, they won 9 nothing against the Carolina team that had to fire their coach earlier in the year. There was an interim coach led that game, 
and they fired their GM and their owners uh, uh, putts. But nonetheless, they Tampa has won these games on the stretch there. They finished above 500, which I did not think was possible for this team or anyone in that division for that matter. And the Eagles, like the Eagles have the weapons. And again, I don't know the status for AJ Brown's not listed as any injury report right now. Devontae Smith is questionable. Jalen Hurts, he'll play. It's the playoffs. I cannot see a scenario where you're starting Marcus Mariota in the playoffs over Jalen Hurts because Hurts can't give it a go. Um, and as long as Mike Evans is in Tampa Bay, that team's going to be good. White, the running back, he's very good as well. Um, like the, I, This matchup should be the Eagles because they are the better team. But the way they've been playing on the stretch, and I know, again, Tampa Bay has not been much much more impressive. I'm picking Tampa Bay to pull the – is it upset like they're at home? And, the, yeah, they're the underdog by the spread, if you look at that. So, I mm-hmm. guess in the technicality, it's a consider an upset. But, like, the way both teams are playing, I'm not shocked. Give me Tampa Bay in this game here. I think this game's going to be uh, a game that, like, Buck and Aikman are going to be calling it. And I think it's going to be super ugly. And they're going to be like, what the hell do we talk about for three hours? But is, I think it'll be a close enough game to where people are intrigued. And it's the playoffs. So give me the bucks in this one. Dolan, how do you see this game going down? Dude, I've got no clue. I mean, literally, I have no idea. Um, I mean, Philly, Philly should win this game. Uh they, they they should by all accounts, but they're cold as heck, dude. I mean, they are so cold right now. And Tampa Bay is just doing enough to get by. Ugh. You know, I think Philly's secondary, I I, I I think I think I do remember saying as soon as CJ Gardner Johnson signed with the signed with the Lions, their secondary is not that not as good as it was last year. It's not. It's just not. And Chris Godwin and Mike Evans could have a day. They could. I feel like Todd Bowling drops something up, keep it. But, I mean, this is not the same Eagles team from a year ago. It's not. Um, I think that I'm in agreement with you, Spence. I'm going to take the Bucks. This, I mean, the spread's, what, three points? Are you kidding me? I, apparently, apparently Tampa Bay is, you know, I I think you mentioned it though. Like, they're not favored in this game. They're at home against a team that is completely falling off the wagon. You know, this this train, this car has just has got. They're just leaking, leaking everything, and there's no big O tires in sight to fix it. Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna take the Bucks. I'm gonna take the Bucks, and they might, they might, they might just, yeah. I, I think they'll, they'll, they'll cover and win. All righty, Christian. How do you see the Eagles and the Buccaneers game unfolding on Monday night? Well, Tampa Bay, you know, they're a very good team, and even though I trust my man Yaya Diaby uh, to be an absolute home wrecker against this Philadelphia offensive line against Jalen Hurts. I just don't trust this team as a whole to be consistent enough. I mean, going, you know, after the game against Green Bay in, in the Jacksonville game, I'm thinking, man, this Tampa Bay team is riding hot. But the fact that they pretty much got shut out till halfway through uh, the fourth quarter, going up against the New Orleans Saints, 
that just, you know, kind of dropped my soul and trust in Tampa Bay. And also scoring nine points against Carolina, who teams, you know, can score 40-plus on any given day. Uh, they're as bad as it was against them. So do I trust Baker Mayfield and company to upset Philadelphia? Who, yes, they have been an absolute atrocious team as of late. People are calling Nick Sirianni's job. I don't think it's that. I just think Philadelphia has gotten lucky in a lot of their sense, being the functioning alcoholics that they are. But in the long scheme of things, Philadelphia does not look like they are the favorite to go into the Super Bowl this year. But I got to trust them going up against Tampa Bay. In week three, of course, this is not the same team uh, that we're seeing right now. But Tampa Bay, they got beat at home against Philadelphia, even though Jalen Hurts didn't play a good game and threw two interceptions in that uh, fiasco of a matchup. They won 25-11. to So I do think Philadelphia repeats history and beats Tampa Bay on Monday Night Football again. So give me the Eagles against Tampa Bay. All right, so this is a uh, relatively similar. We had because, like I said, we had four games were all the same. Um, so this it's gonna be a wild playoff, though. I think we're in store for some uh, great matchups throughout the postseason. And again, next week we'll be back. We'll recap every single wild card game. We'll preview every single game in the divisional round, and we will discuss any head coaching if there's a, another firing. Surprisingly. Or if there's a coaching hire, which I don't necessarily foresee it happening this quickly just because I think a lot of the guys people want are in the playoffs. Um, at least if you're doing it right, you want a guy who's coaching a playoff team uh, this year. But nonetheless, that's going to do it for tonight's episode. Uh, real quick, Christian, you were just recently on our buddy Ryan's podcast, Ryan's Happy Hour. I'll let you... Uh, have the floor for a few minutes to talk about that. Yeah, so this past weekend I was on an episode of Ryan's Happy Hour with our good buddy Ryan O'Neill. Um, he and I, we were actually talking a little bit about the podcast uh, here at Not A Bounds. You know, the playoffs are coming around for the NFL. And my favorite time of the year, the, the NFL draft combine and the NFL draft, I don't know why. I like the offseason better than I actually like the regular season of football. That's just how I like it. That's kind of the field I want to get into. Hopefully I can get into that. But the episode, of course, is called The Podcast of Glorious Purpose as we talk about the end of Loki, uh, episodes four through episode six. We talk about the Marvels. We talk about what if. We you know discuss our uh, discussion with John, uh, Jonathan Majors, who played King the Conqueror, uh, and the issues going on with him. We also give our... Uh, thoughts about the future of 2024. So it was a great episode with Ryan again. It always is uh, doing it with Ryan. So if you don't mind, give that a listen as well. And yeah, because me and Ryan, we love talking about comic book movies and you know Marvel and now the DCU under James Gunn. So 2024 is going to be a very good year, hopefully, for playoffs, Combine, Marvel, and all the wonders. So thank you for tuning in to this episode. And Give uh, Ryan's happy hour listen as well. Yeah, just add it to the queue right now. Just go to the uh, similar, like, also like this podcast tab on Spotify if you're listening in that way. You have it easily accessible to get to Ryan's happy hour. Very great episode, as always. Uh, feel free to follow us on whatever podcasting platform that you're listening to this on. Feedback's always encouraged. Help us get better. 
like Christian said, it's a new year. 2024 is going to be a big year for us in the podcast game. So give us some feedback if you don't mind. And also sharing this with friends and family. Help us grow this podcast uh, to get to a larger audience that we didn't even think was possible uh, when we first started this show. So again, thanks for listening. And as always, I am Spencer Brown. Dalton Bishop. And I'm Christian Ernst. So again, thanks for listening. Enjoy the rest of your day.